0: Bästa, Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. Hoi, here comes Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt. ingen annan kan bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Carlson, yeah, Carlson, Carlson. Another episode of the keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys named Carlson in their keeper pools. I think I said it right. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, I know that it feels like as always, even because we did record last week, it feels like it was a million years ago since we last recorded. But it has just been a week, and Brian, we're here to talk all again, just like nothing's changed. Brian calm he's my uh, host co host. This whole thing is terrible. What (laughs) have I done? Do you want to try again? No. We're just going to have to keep it. I'm frazzled, but we're going to keep going. It's a weird world we live in where Elon
1: cannot, like, so shaken that the intro that he's done, well, this is episode 269. He's done it at least that many times. Uh... It's okay. Everything's going to be okay because things are normal. Can you believe you said it's felt like forever since last week? It's only been 72 hours uh, at the time of recording since the season was even suspended. And this is already my second podcast. So trust that we're going to keep the content coming. Uh, Your entertainment from Keeping Carlson will still be here, whether you're working remotely or you're still working or like whatever your situation is. We're here
0: for you. Yeah, we're going to keep pumping out shows because, come on, let's be real, we don't have anything else to do at this point. And I know you might be thinking, what are we even going to talk about? There's no hockey going on. Well, it's our opportunity to be creative and come up with some ideas. I think we've got a really fun idea for today. Either fun or it might turn out to be a disaster, so you'll let us know at the end what you thought. But I went back and listened to what we were talking about three years ago at this time so in 2017 in March and I listened to episode 139 so we'll link to that in the show notes and anyone if you want you can just pause the podcast now and go listen to that first but basically this is going to be a recap of episode 139 three years ago in March uh, and we're going to talk about all the players we talked about then uh, what did we learn what did we get right what did we get wrong we'll tie it to everything going on right now in the league uh, as of last week and going into next season so I think this is going to be a lot of fun I Brian I was also a really really crazy episode. There were a lot of laughs there. So I'm looking forward to making fun of you for some of the ridiculous things you said along the way.
1: I can't wait for that. Uh, I have not re-listened yet, but I plan on it. And if you want to, too, we're going to link it in our show notes. The The show description begins with cross your heart and say your prayers. It's another cuss free episode of the keeping <laughs> Carlson fantasy hockey podcast. And then in the rest of the description of the episode, I go off that uh, cuss free prayer theme, uh, talking about blessings and thankful for and the hockey gods so and shepherding so uh check that out it's a good little piece of writing just like <laughs> for context also three years ago uh things were very different right uh ed sheeran's shape of you was in its fourth week at number one on the billboard hot 100 Future's self-titled album was the number one selling record a movie called Kong Skull Island, which sounds totally made up. It was number one at the U.S. box offices. Uh, the top NHL scorers were Connor McDavid. Of course, some things never changed. Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Brad Marchand, and then Brent Burns. Like, actually, the, the whole top 10 was pretty predictable. Mikhail Granlund, ranked 12th, one spot behind. Jamie Benn, uh, and also Yager, Yarmer Yager, was a Florida Panther three years ago at this time.
0: Yeah, we'll actually uh, bring up Yager a little bit later because we talked about some injuries on Florida in that episode. But yes, yeah, so right. thanks for the recap there. I also wanted to do a quick recap of the show you did with Lewis on Thursday, the, th- the Short Shifts episode that was really interesting. And it was really cool to hear you guys kind of off the cuff trying to answer these questions of what people should do with their leagues now that the NHL suspended we might not even finish the season and I really appreciated you guys taking a stab at this without having to you know have had even a a day to think it through uh so now in the light of having a couple more days I'd love to Talk about it quickly, like some of these things you said. I want to say one thing that I heard you guys talk about that I thought was really fascinating, a really cool idea. I don't recall who was the one who recommended it. I think it was Lewis uh, talking about a patron who said this, but he was saying that uh, for a league, if the things don't finish, then they're going to like start the fantasy playoffs next season. Like at the start of next season, they're going to start the fantasy playoffs for this season. So everyone will just kind of have their team. So let's say if you're in a league, I'm in a league with you. We're going to actually start two leagues, one which is representing the 2000. 2000- 1920 season and we're going to play out our playoffs with the teams that we had and I guess you could obviously add and drop players just like you would normally and then you'll also at the same time be just starting your next season that seems like a really fun way to settle things obviously the most fair and boring way is to split the pot or all these other things that you guys talked about but I do like the idea of just waiting till hockey starts again and then finish things through because who says you have to use that week of the season why not use the first week of next season it's a great idea
1: I think it's a great idea, too, with the caveat that I, I don't think people should keep their teams. And I said this on the
0: episode, too, because deployment changes. Teams change, right? No, like, Brian, I, I heard you say that. I disagree. I think it's more fun. That, like, things change this year. Like, every single week that we've been doing this show, we've been talking about, like, all the superstars being the injured. more like, what- changes happen over the summer
1: with free agency and, like prospects and whatever I think it would totally be reasonable to have like a mini snake or auction draft with the top teams remaining so they all draft new teams to go at each other in the playoffs
0: okay I guess you could say that's reasonable I mean this is just a matter of opinion and taste if it was me I would want to keep my team and I feel like that's part of the fun and you know what lines change during the season also maybe there's a few more changes but I'll bet you it'll still be pretty darn close like if you have Connor McDavid and your opponent has Sidney Crosby you know it's gonna probably work out maybe the one difference is that they, they get to bring Jake Gensel out of the IR but you know with all the injuries and outjuries coming like it seems like the landscape of fantasy hockey has been changing for the past few weeks with all the crazy injuries and the trade deadline anyway so I don't know I think it's a great idea I would love to try it out and who knows we haven't made a decision yet for the Cupful. so maybe this is an option that we can consider once we get the final answer of what's going to happen with the NHL and Yahoo Fantasy but I don't know I think it's a cool idea
1: one good thing about keeping your teams is that like if you picked, like if you drafted a team that was way better than the other teams that were drafted, like if you if you did a really great job of building your team through the season, you're not starting from square one if you choose to keep your teams and let them roll over. I I agree. I see your side, Elon. I think it would be more fun to redraft and I don't know which one would be fairer to well, be you're honest. already
0: going to redraft to be fair, for your next season. So yeah so, yeah, obviously drafting is fun. We're actually gonna do something really fun in the Facebook group. We're going to try to keep ourselves busy over these next few weeks. I had this idea that I want to run some drafts, Brian, for seasons that have already completed where basically we'll know the winner of the draft like as soon as it's over because the results will be there. even like as the draft is going, we can keep a cumulative count of who's winning in each category because then it'll just be a fun like it's like a board game, right? We're just playing a game of who can draft the best and it's still like there's tough decisions because you grab a a forward or a defenseman here. Like, you know, you have to decide, oh, should I grab a right wing now who I know got this many points or do I grab a left wing who got fewer points but I see that there's fewer left wings available? Then, you know, should I go for hits or blocks? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to set this all up, Brian. You're not going to have to do any work. This is something I'm going to be doing with the patrons and I think it's going to be a blast and I have a feeling I'm going to do really well. I think I'm good at drafting in snake drafts.
1: I feel like I, I think I think an auction draft experiment for this would be even we more exciting, both. which I, I hear the big sigh from you. Uh but before we even think about those fun ideas, we also have our cupful random rumble that Marcus and Ryan McLaughlin are setting up, stat attack Marcus, who are like they're it's this tournament with every team in the full, like all two hundred and fifty six, I think it is. And uh, they're just taking random weeks of the season, like they've seeded every team in a bracket. And they're ta- they're picking random weeks to insert each team's scores from to see who moves on. So it's like a very random way <laughs> to have a tournament. But if you had more great weeks than bad weeks, and you avoided having some really awful weeks, uh, you've got a better chance than any team of moving along.
0: I hope that my fictional team in this rumble does better than my actual team did. Okay, one last piece of business, and then we're going to get to all our crazy content for this episode. Next week, we're planning, again, in the theme of doing crazy creative episodes, we're going to be having a hot takeoff. And uh, people who have listened to the show for a while know we've we've done this before. It's usually a lot of fun. We're opening this up to you, the listeners, and the patrons, and anyone who's going to find out about this we want you to send us what are your hottest take predictions for next season so for example you could be like I think Sergei Bobrovsky is going to win the Vesna next year and that's like a hot take first of all okay and the way we're going to judge it is that the take has to be hot in that you know it's not obvious like if you tell me I think Connor McDavid's going to win the Art Ross it's like snooze fest boring a lot of people think that you know so it has to be a take that's uh, kind of like counterintuitive to what the majority would be thinking and then also we have to Brian and I have to agree that there's some plausibility there we're going to give each take a score we're going to be Very judgmental and insulting of most of the takes. And then in the end, we're going to anoint a winner and uh, we'll come up with a prize for it. So if you want to submit your hot takes, you can do that right now. Uh, We're going to be hosted by the great John Reed, who has hosted previous hot takeoffs. So if you're in the Facebook group already, you could just send him a direct message with your hot takes, John Reed. Or you could send them to kktakes at gmail.com. So once again, kktakes at gmail.com and send your hot takes.
1: And a hot take has to be something that's controversial and feels like a minority view, right? Yeah, or maybe both I go hand in hand. It has to be exciting, has to be something that at first you're like, what? And then it's like, oh, maybe. oh, maybe.
0: Another one I thought of, not to like give, take away everyone's ideas. I was thinking like uh, Anthony Duclair will be in free agency in most leagues by November of next year. I think that, that's like the kind of take you can make.
1: Yeah, yeah, it has to be something that's not it like first has to be something that we can agree or disagree with. And that at first glance, most people are likely to disagree with. Okay, Elon, before, like last thing, I just want to put a bow on Lewis's and I like the episode of short shifts we recorded on Thursday. Uh, And I just wanted your thought because the one question that stumped me was what are you going to do in your leagues where you have draft picks that have been traded, right? So teams uh, sold off, Draft picks to get players to bulk up for a playoff run that never happened. What do you do if you're the commission of a league? It didn't happen in the cup full because we don't trade draft picks. But if you were the commission of a league where it did happen, what would you do? How would you handle it?
0: Yeah, I think Lewis, uh, Said what I agreed with in the end. I think it first of all depends a lot on how we're going to resolve these leagues. You can't really decide that now. If the NHL does come back and finish things off and, and if we do have a fantasy playoffs, then obviously the point is moot. Uh, if you decide to award the victory based on regular season standings or based on like whatever playoff matchups happened so far, then I think at that point the trades should stand since they, you know, helped you in your final push. But if you end up just deciding to split the prize and if everyone ended up even anyways, then I think there could be an argument to just like reverse all of those trades since the people gave away picks and got nothing in return but honestly Brian I think you also really nailed it when you were saying that I think everyone needs to agree like at the end you don't want to ruin your league and piss people off uh, just for these little like small victories or these draft picks or whatever I think that you should really just get together with your league or have a don't get together in person Uh, have a you know remote (laughs) chat like this and just decide what you all think is fair I think there's arguments to be made to let the trade stand and there's arguments to be made to um, reverse them and i think it depends a lot on how much people benefited from these trades and i think just try to come up with a consensus because uh we're gonna hopefully have these leagues going for years and years to come and you don't want to have people feel like they were ripped off and lewis actually made a good point saying in a good compromise everyone is a little disappointed so you want to be a little disappointed at the end don't go into the discussion hoping to win you know hope that you're going to give up a little but in exchange for everyone being uh you know feeling it's equitable and fair
1: in ten words or less, do you think the NHL should do anything to help teams who gave up whatever? Like the Islanders might not, might, might not have made the playoffs anyway, but they gave up two picks like their first and second rounder for Jean-Gabriel Pajot
0: yeah well to be fair that's an exception right because they re-signed him to a long-term contract so right. they're happy with that but I guess yeah there's some other rental trades where, yeah if they're if the whole season ends up being canceled we still don't know I'm trying to be optimistic like obviously hopefully they make the sa- safe smart choice but maybe they'll yeah. be able to do a playoffs at some point and so hopefully these trades will have some effect
1: Okay, and finally, the very last question that I wanted your take on, one it was Sergey, one of our patrons, who grabbed all the IR players in case the season resumes and they're healthy. Uh, Is that fair game for him to do that in his league?
0: Uh, again, I think that's like a discussion to have. I feel like it seems like you're sort of, if you rushed out and grabbed every, se- first of all, how many IR spots do you have? Fine. But like, and maybe you shouldn't have so many acquisitions available, but that's a whole other league design discussion. I think that uh, you're probably just going to piss a lot of people off. It might not even matter because there might not even be the rest of a regular season. So I, I don't want to say anything is right or wrong, but it does seem like you're sort of profiting or benefiting from this this change. And now all of a sudden, someone like Steven Stanquist might actually be healthy for some fantasy playoff games. And I would probably say that it would be fair for everyone to not profit over this weird turn of events. And maybe you could uh, drop them. But I think Lewis also came up with a good decision of like, maybe you get one and then someone else gets the next one and you can sort of do a draft for these IR players. I don't know. Again, you have to talk with your league and, uh, you could feel like all self-righteous if you want, but that maybe that's not the right word, but you could feel like you're morally in the right. And what you did is fair games. Everyone had the same chance to do what you did and sure you could feel that way but at the end of the day if you piss off everyone in your league then what what have you really gained especially like for what you know to get like a week of steven stamko's production and everyone in your league hates you so this is unprecedented times
1: yeah be a good guy or girl or be a good whoever like just be nice think win-win Uh, don't make anyone mad, don't burn any bridges. I I love, I'll repeat what you said, which is what Lewis said in A Good Compromise, everyone's a little disappointed. Just be a little disappointed. I think that's the best way to gain long term. Plus, we're all like I said, stressed out enough. Like, let's all just get along, be good to each other.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, We should probably mention we're presented by DabraHockey.com. Even uh, with all this going on, DabraHockey, still releasing articles. I'm looking you've got a top 100 roto rankings by Ian Gooding today. 21 fantasy hockey rambles, which I haven't read yet, but I'd be very curious to hear what the rambles are so definitely check it out dobberhockey.com and i still used all their tools to prepare this episode which we'll get to in a second for all these player discussions it's always a great place to find numbers from not only this season but also what happened in a random week in 2017 like they actually have ways to search for stats for a specific time period so i did a lot of searching for march 13th to the end of the 2016-17 season because a lot of our predictions on that episode three years ago were predicting that time span of like 13 games Uh, so dobberhockey.com check it out brian Let's get started with episode 139. So, yeah, I checked out this episode because it was exactly three years ago today. Maybe if this goes well, people could let us know. We could always go four years ago or two years ago. We've got a nice backlog of keeping Carlson episodes. And I'll tell you, like, obviously, uh, I'm biased. I thought it was still pretty fun to listen to, even though obviously it's not relevant to my fantasy hockey needs now. But it's really fun to hear what we were saying about a bunch of different players. Uh, So we started the show talking about how jimmy howard returned from a knee injury after missing a lot of time and if you recall back then in detroit it was petter Mrazek who was seeing the majority of starts while howard was injured there was a backup goalie named jared corot who i guess got a few games in i don't even know what happened to him he's he's
1: N- native of perth ontario he's only actually seen like seven nhl games since then he's been with four different nhl teams and right now he's with Bridgeport of the AHL playing behind Christopher Gibson, but both of them, of course, are going to be behind Ilya Sorokin pretty soon. I know that's not at all what you wanted to talk about, but there it is.
0: <laughs> there we go. Now we know where is Jared Corot. But yeah, so at the time, Howard was coming back, and I was saying on the show, man, Peter Mrazek was so bad while Howard was injured. He had only a 901 save percentage in 42 games on the season at that point, which is kind of funny, because now a 901 save percentage isn't even like that terrible, because save percentages have gone down a bit in the league since then, but still not great. And by uh, 2017 standards, it was even worse. So Mrazek had been a huge bust. And in contrast, Jimmy Howard was actually having a good season. He had a 934 save percentage in the 18 games he played. And so I was asking you if it'll be Jimmy Howard's net moving forward. Brian, do you want to guess how that all turned out?
1: Um, well, I remember at the time that, like, Detroit seemed totally married to Jimmy Howard, and so I wasn't optimistic that Merazic would get a shot. I wanted Mrazik to get a shot because I he know. was coming off a stellar sophomore season where he had a 921 save percentage in 54 games. Like, that's a good full season. And, of course, that put wind in his sails in my mind for years after that. I know. Um, Brian,
0: but- like, on uh, you used to always be the guy who said, like, small sample sizes don't trust him. And there's, there were a couple players you just loved. I feel like Petr Mrazik was one of them. We're well, like, he never why are they playing shot? Jimmy Howard? Why are he they ne- playing him?
1: Because <laughs> Petr Mrazek never got a shot. Uh, Mrazek, like I was desperate for the Red Wings to play him more and invest in him as their future goalie rather than continue to go with Jimmy Howard, who was playing like 10 to 12 save percentage points beneath what Mrazic was playing, but of course, that's the Red Wings, and they kept leaning on Jimmy Howard for the same (laughs) reason that they continued to put guys like Darren Helm and Justin Applicator and Riley Sheehan in their top six and Nicholas Cronwall on their top power play unit. So that's how I felt about the whole Mrazic-Howard thing, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, though. Like I said in that season, 2016-17, Morazic had been bad and Howard had been good. And if you would have like listened to me, I think on the show yeah. I was saying that you could, I'd prefer to have Howard moving forward. That would have been the smart call because in the in the final stretch of the season, there Howard had a 9.15 save percentage and Mrazek stayed bad at 9.01 in his six games and only two wins. So then, and we know what happened to Mrazek. So now we come to the present, and like, where's I'm still wondering what to do with a Petr Mrazek because he's somehow a starting goalie in the league or he has been for. Most of the year on Carolina, even though a lot like Jimmy Howard three years ago, there's another goalie on the team that had a better save percentage. James Reimer, this season with Carolina, has a 9-15 save percentage on the year in 25 games compared to Marazic's 9 And now you look into next year, and I'm really curious what we're going to do with these Carolina goalies when we're in the summer and we're doing Schmore goalies board and all that because then we have like Alex right, who had a couple clunkers and then a couple good games when Marazic and Reimer were hurt uh, Anton Forsberg is also in the mix he was like kind of equally up and down in the three games he got recently so Brian what's your take as to how the Carolina net will look next year. Like, are you expecting Nedjeljkovic to take over, like, very quickly, maybe even to start the season? Do you see Mrazek having, like, upside of being a goalie worth drafting and holding? Like, I feel like my fear with Mrazek is even if he starts the season as a starter, like, A, I just don't feel like he's very good, and B, I really don't see him starting more than 50% of the starts, because I think he'll struggle. At some and it'll either be Reimer or Nedjeljkovic or someone taking a big chunk of those starts.
1: So I think you just pretty much outlined every possible scenario in Carolina. And we need to remember that Reimer and Morazic still have another year left on each of their contracts, but just one year also. So I wouldn't be shocked to see the Hurricanes try and make room for Nadelkovic if they can find another another team that's interested in taking on one of Reimer or Morazic, who maybe they can. like They're a decent 1B or number two option. But I still see Carolina continuing to have a tandem goalie situation with Nedeljkovic and one of Reimer and Uh like the way they have for the last couple of seasons. It's hard to imagine any Carolina goalie can take over unless they play consistently well. And even then, they might not take over. We saw how McElhenney played down the stretch last year and uh, went nowhere. After doing that, so I wouldn't be surprised if, like, it's, it's going to be a timeshare. It's just a matter of if the Hurricanes offload one of Reimer or Mrazek to make room for Nadelkovic, who they should definitely be starting to look at because uh, Reimer and Mrazek are not long for Carolina, at least in the roles they have now.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, another thing that's hard to imagine is a Carolina Hurricanes team winning the Stanley Cup on the back of Petr Marazic as their starting goalie or James Reimer. So I think you might as well transition over now because I just don't see them winning with Marazic. I don't think he's someone you could depend on. Funny enough, by the way, Brian, at that time in the podcast when I was asking you if you should grab Howard, I was comparing to some other goalies who may be in free agency at the time I brought up. uh, Actually, James Reimer was in that conversation because he had been getting starts on Florida, if you recall. I think Luongo may have been injured at the time. And then steve mason was also doing well so i asked you to compare howard steve mason or james reimer and brian you said you would take james reimer first of the three and that was actually good advice because then for the remainder of the season reimer had six wins in a 927 save percentage in 11 games mason uh a decent number of wins on philly seven wins but only 916 save percentage and then howard like i said he had the 915 save percentage much better than Petter morazic but worse than these other potential free agent options at the time so good call ryan uh going with james reimer
1: that's the rare moment where I didn't go with Steve Mason, and also where Steve Mason was not the best option.
0: Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, you lo- <laughs> you still love Steve Mason, right? I'll bet you if he came back, you would say that everyone should be rushing to grab him.
1: Uh, I mean, I'd be open to it, just like Eddie Locke.
0: <laughs> just like that tweet storm you had about how everyone should grab Andre Kasha after he got traded to Boston, and then uh, that didn't work out too well. I think that it would work out just as well with Steve Mason. It was- the Kasha <laughs> thing was totally sound logic. I mean, you could say that all you want. All I know is you tweeted being like, everyone, you should rush to grab Kasha. I responded being like, I disagree. I, didn't say I don't think everyone. you
1: should. I said, if you were. In a league where Jason Zucker going to Pittsburgh was a big deal, Andre Kasha going to Boston should also be a big deal.
0: Yeah, and I disagreed, and we saw how that went for the... Who knows, never, maybe...
1: Never maybe, gonna let me forget it.
0: Uh, maybe if there wasn't this pause, uh, the next couple of weeks would have been huge Kasha gain weeks, and he would have uh, beaten out Zucker for sure. Uh, Do we have
1: to start the episode over? Because I started by saying that the NHL season was suspended, which is false. They just paused it. Okay, that's... It's the same
0: thing. What's the difference?
1: Well, there's a difference. They, they've they're definitely going hard on this pause word over suspension for whatever It seems whatever like this reason.
0: is bothering you. Like, what... T- explain. T- we we have time. Uh, <laughs> what's bothering you about this? You're worried that they're giving false hope that it's gonna restart?
1: No, I don't know what it means. I feel like they're trying to, like, sh- not sugarcoat, but they're trying to change the perception of something that doesn't need to be changed. It's like, the season is suspended. That's all. Like, but you know there was, like, one powerful owner and there was, like, you know, we should call it a pause. <laughs> and everyone's like, why? Well, you know, pa- like, and had, like, some... Yeah. Easy reason thinking. It's just this like PR speak where it feels like we're being sold something that we don't need to be sold. I don't need to be told the NHL season's unpaused. I know what suspension means. Yeah, but pa-
0: suspensions are bad. A player gets suspended when they do a hit to the head. So, uh, the you NHL- know, no,
1: I want to <laughs> see the next time a player does something illegal. I want to see Tom Wilson get paused for five games. <laughs> you hate
0: Tom Wilson. We're gonna bring up Tom Wilson a little later. He came up on this episode three years ago. Uh, okay, but since we were on Detroit, we then talked about Gustav Nyquist, who he had been suspended. Actually, he had been suspended for Six games that we talked about. He was back from suspension, back to the top line with Zetterberg and Tatar, and Nyquist had five points in four games after returning. So I was all you know excited, telling people go and grab Nyquist. He's on a run. He's on the top line with Zetterberg, and if you listen to me, you were very happy, right? Because uh, Nyquist ended the season with 13 points in his final 15 games, so that was a great end of the year. The Red Wings always seem to have these players go off at the end of the season. Remember last year with Bertuzzi and Mantha? All those people were going off at the end. Also, Anyways, uh, that year, Nyquist ended with 46 points in 75 games, which was similar to his pace this season with Columbus, uh, 42 points in 70 games, so a 49-point pace. So, uh, Brian, wh- what do you think? Like, what, what's, what should we do with Gustav Nyquist? Because he was someone we, we didn't even know how to project going into this season because he was going into a new situation in Columbus, and he landed around this 50-point pace, which is sort of you know right on the line of whether you should draft him or not but at the same time maybe you can make excuses and say that you can't really judge what people in Columbus did this year just because of all those injuries right like you know Cam Atkinson and Oliver Bjorkstrand have missed so much time maybe Gustav Nyquist could have found himself on a line with newly you know uh, crowned superstar Oliver Bjorkstrand and maybe that would be huge for him maybe that'll happen next year you know so I'm, I'm curious to know if you think Gustav Nyquist still has upside to be better than a 50 point guy like if we were doing the almanac right now would you just land him back at 50 or do you think there's upside for more next year
1: well first off let's take a trip down memory lane to think that gustav nyquist was suspended our gustav what he doesn't get angry he doesn't Uh, do things that are suspendable, but he did high stick Jared Spurgeon in the face. He was retaliating on a cross check from behind by Spurgeon, but accidentally got his stick caught under Spurgeon's visor while trying to enact his actual plan of just cross checking Spurgeon back. And then like after his stick got caught in Spurgeon's visor, you see Nyquist sort of like hunched down towards Spurgeon and be like, oops, like that was not what I meant to do. I just meant to hurt you another way. Uh, Anyway, I I think there are two versions of Nyquist and it's not the guy who gets suspended and the guy who doesn't get suspended. Uh, There's the one version of Nyquist who gets to play on an offensively minded top line with a fantastic centerman like Dylan Larkin or Henrik Zetterberg, or the one who plays on a less offensive line centered by Riley Sheehan, Boone Jenner, or an aging Henrik Zetterberg. And seeing as though Nyquist is locked in for another three years on what is presently a very defense first team in Columbus, I'd be expecting more of the the first, or the sorry, the second version, where Nyquist is uh, sort of stuck on a line that doesn't you know, just go all out offensively and he doesn't have a whole lot of chance to reach whatever greater upside he might have. So I I think he probably is stuck in the 50-55 point range so long as he's on Columbus and that Columbus team is coached by John Tortorella adopting this very defense first mentality.
0: Yeah, I, I probably agree with you. I think that the best case scenario would be a line with Dubois and Björkstrand. I feel like I could see that going off if Björkstrand is anything like the guy who he seems to have been. And I mean, actually, let's get to him in a little bit. We actually did also talk about him three years ago when we were talking about Columbus. But if you recall, we're on the Detroit section right now. But yeah, I think there is upside for Nyquist, but I agree with you that it's going to be about deployment and it's going to depend where he lands. And it'll be interesting because there's still Cam Atkinson that he can play with and like Nick Felino's still around, Boone Jenner. Well, I know you hate Boone Jenner, but like, there are options of I don't players. hate
1: Boone Jenner. I actually love him. He has a great floor in our couple point scoring system. A really handy guy to have.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, then actually in that episode we drooled over Henrik Zetterberg. He was having a nice bounce back season after only 50 points in 82 games 2015-16. And then after the we finished the podcast, Zetterberg actually finished the season strong. He had 13 points in his final 15 games. And so he ended with 68 points in 2016-17 yeah. which ended up being his second last season. So pretty amazing for a zetterberg that we thought was on the decline like i said 50 points the year before then all of a sudden out of nowhere an almost 70 point year then then he started to slip again in the following year 56 points in 82 games i'm surprised actually that he played three full seasons in a row before retiring i kind of remembered zetterberg having these back problems and having to miss time but i guess he was just playing through the pain and who knows how good he could have been if he was fully healthy but a legendary career and it was fun to hear us talking about zetterberg right before the final season where he was finally going to call it quits
1: Yeah, that's it. He was playing through something, but playing consistently through something. Datsuk was was maybe who you were confusing him with, who missed time in each of his last three seasons in the NHL, almost 20 games each of those seasons, and actually more than that in one of them um and i thank you for not calling me out that i was wrong on zetterberg in that episode three years ago i, I was my wet blank itself i said zetterberg's big run wasn't gonna last because he's a 36 year old player and he should stick around a 55 point pace and i was very wrong about those last 15 games he continued tearing things up but i was right about the
0: following year so like
1: bigger sample i was right smaller sample i was wrong but the smaller sample might have cost you your fantasy hockey playoff so if it did I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, okay. Like I could just be like, yeah, Alex Ovechkin for the next 10 years, I feel like he's going to slow down too. So uh, <laughs> I'm brilliant. Uh, it was also really fun in that no, section. No, but I
1: nailed that pace. I called him for the right pace the next year.
0: Yeah, that's true. But did you? Do you recall what you projected the following yeah. year?
1: Yeah, 55 point pace. And what did he have? 56?
0: 58? Brian, that's why you're the fantasy hockey robot. That's why we come back to you every single week to get your takes. Uh, it was really fun at that time. Another smart take you had is you were like shocked about why is Anthony Mantha being scratched on the Red Wings? And if you recall... And that year he went on that crazy run in December. He had like a point per game run. That's when we were first introduced to Anthony Mantha. And we were like, who is this guy? And then he ended up slowing down. And I guess Jeff Blashill was teaching him some lessons, which included some healthy scratches. And we both agreed that anyone holding Mantha was snoozing. And we were right. He only played 10 games the rest of the year out of the 15 Detroit games. And Mantha only had three goals, no assists. Uh, Clearly, better times were coming. Mantha went on to put up 48 points in 2017-18. Then a 59-point pace last season. And he's currently... Currently on a 74-point pace this season. 38 points in 42 games. It would be nice if he could play a full season without getting injured. Uh, No reason... I don't see a reason for Anthony Mantha to, like, pull a Raquel who will get too soon and randomly start falling again next season, right? Like, Raquel sort of had this, you know, slow rise and just kept getting better and then all of a sudden has fallen off a cliff in these last couple of years. I feel like Mantha's slow rise should at least stay stable because I don't see why he wouldn't stay on the top line with someone like Dylan Larkin. Raquel, you know, we're talking about he was playing with uh, Getzlaff, who's gotten worse. Larkin should only get better and there should be these reinforcements in, like, a Philip Zadina type. So we're still excited about Anthony Mantha next year, right?
1: Oh, for sure. And I'm going to quote from my notes three years ago, where I wrote that Mantha was scratched today for the second game in a row, while guys like Drew Miller, Riley Sheehan, Luke Glendenning, and a guy named Mitch Callahan continue drawing into the lineup. I haven't heard Mitch Callahan's name since. And then I wrote that Mantha was a snoozer. Sad emoji afterwards. Um... You know, I don't get any, I didn't get any of the thinking behind Manthas being scratched and said once he was back in the lineup, still worth a look as an offensive standout on that roster. Three years ago, he was an offensive standout on the Red Wings roster, let alone now where he's both more powerful offensively and the rest of the roster is still paper thin. But you know what, Elon? Thank goodness for Manta being scratched and the lessons that he learned while being scratched. Certainly, Jeff Blasso keeping Manta in the press box helped him become the player he
0: is today. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. There, remember that fun rant when Larry David was complaining about who? Who was it? Kako oh, getting yeah. scratched, and, and <laughs> he was like, "What? He knows he made him. He know he made a bad turnover. <laughs> Benching him is going to make him not realize that." Oh, it was funny. Yeah, but. I was being
1: sarcastic for the record. Oh, okay. Didn't, I, I don't feel like you caught it.
0: Well, but sometimes it makes sense. You can't play everyone all the time. Maybe you have to bench a rookie and let a veteran get it yeah, not Like Mitch the Callahan was contending.
1: should play ahead of an, b- the the burgeoning Anthony Mantha, come on. okay. come on. Know.
0: Hey, it worked out, <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't doubt Jeff Flashall ever again.
0: Okay, so then we went and talked about the Anaheim goalie situation. So we left Detroit, went to Anaheim. John Gibson had been hurt, which was common at the time, but he was back. But I lauded Jonathan Bernier for really holding the forward up with Gibson out. Bernier won four of six games, including a 43-save shutout over Chicago. Can you believe that? Wow. And uh, I asked you, Brian, if Gibson owners should be worried about Bernie maybe stealing the job or, like, taking a lot of starts down the stretch. You, like totally shot me down He said I was being like ridiculous and like sh- but you've uh, again I know you hate this but I feel like you've always been really down on Jonathan Bernier but I was it, actually
1: a, a big Jonas Enroth backer at the time I <laughs> wanted him I, I quoted his numbers in the HL. he's like 10 and 2 with a 948 save percentage or something and still couldn't get a look of, ahead
0: of Jonathan Bernier yeah you were like while Gibson's injured why are they just giving Bernier all the <laughs> starts they should be giving these starts to. En- even though Bernier was great and actually after we recorded it looks like Gibson went back on the shelf so he was was hurt again. He only ended up playing three games for the rest of the season. Meanwhile, Jonathan Bernier ended super strong. He went 8 0 and 2 with a 926 save percentage on Anaheim to end that season. At the time, you thought it was crazy for me to suggest Bernier better than Gibson. And maybe you will again if I suggest it for next season. Because I think I might, Brian. Like, tell me if this is too crazy of a take, but we need to definitely give Jonathan Bernier some credit for his 2019-20 season on the Detroit Red Wings. The worst team in the whole league by far. On such a dreadful team. Bern- Bernier held his own... He had a 907 save percentage on the year in 46 games. Only 15 wins, but probably you could blame that more on the offense than on him. Uh, that's pretty good. Like a nine, That's like league average, right? On a terrible team. Compare that, by the way, to John Gibson this year, who was on a better team, uh, uh, by at least a little bit. And Gibson had a 903 save percentage compared to Bernier's 907 and 19 wins in 50 games. So Are you trying that...
1: to make a point? Like, I want to just step in. Are you trying to make a point that Jonathan Bernier is better than John
0: Gibson? Yeah, I'm saying... For next year, Uh. like, we look at both of these teams, and they both have promising young players coming up, like Detroit has Zadina, Heronic, like some others, you know, Anaheim has, you know, hoping that Terry and Steele and maybe Trevor Zegras will, you know, step forward and become big stars, so like, yeah, both teams have upside, both teams could also be bad again next year, Uh, but I think Bernier is still the starter in Detroit, and he was better this year than Gibson, and I don't know, I think there could be, maybe I should have saved this for the hot takeoff, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that I'd rather have Jonathan than Bernier than John Gibson next year, or at least put them in the same tier of guys that I'm not interested in until the very end of my draft. And I just take who's left.
1: Elon, you need to take that take, put it in writing and send it to KK takes at gmail.com right now. I think that should absolutely be in our hot takeoff. Uh, Let's look back at John Gibson and why I still – I think that's ridiculous that Jonathan Bernier is worth more than John Gibson. By the way, you mentioned, like, how he was injured at this time three years ago. This also was the season of the diarrhea game. It happened in December 2016. Uh, don't remind and and John, the exact date i'm sure is etched in your memory elon and i just want to put out there that john gibson is lucky that the diarrhea game happened then and not now or else he may have had a hard time staying properly stocked on toilet paper as for this season gibson may as well have diarrhea for all the times he's pooped the bed for his fantasy owners we've watched the once uber reliable top talent tier goalie Be a terrifying player to start, and I've yet to find any kind of reasonable or even unreasonable explanation for why that's the case. John Gibson has not looked this pedestrian since his first couple seasons in the NHL, where he saw sixty-three games, getting his feet wet over over two years. But since then, for the last three seasons, John Gibson has been lights out, and no doubt one of the best goalies in the NHL. And then this happens: his workload hasn't even been harder this year or anything; he's just been worse. But I'm not losing faith in him from one bad year. I'd happily take John Gibson over Bernier next year. Gibson, to me, is still a goalie you can draft. Maybe you get him in the later rounds next year than where you got him this past year, the ones before. And Jonathan Bernier, I think, is someone you can pick up off the free agency pile. Like You don't need to draft this guy.
0: Well, that's assuming Detroit will stay as bad at some... what do you think just in general, forgetting about the goalies, like which team do you think has a higher upside for the next season or two between Anaheim and Detroit? I think an argument can be made that it's Detroit, like Anaheim, like Ryan Getzlaff just keeps getting older. I guess they have new rookies coming in, but their defense is very concerning. I don't know. I think it could go either way. Maybe we don't even have to answer because who knows. But all I'm saying well, you, is... I think you
1: just answered your own question, which is that Detroit is not as far ahead of Anaheim next year as you seem to no, think.
0: I definitely don't think they're ahead. They were terrible this year.
1: I'm just yeah, saying that I think... At best.
0: All I would say is that I wouldn't draft Jonathan Gibson (laughs) unless it was super late. Like, yeah, maybe he's a guy to take a flyer on, and maybe he has higher upside since he has been considered as a potential Vesna candidate. But like, I already am not planning on drafting any goalie in the first half of my drafts. Like, let alone uh, John Gibson, who was totally terrible this year and no reason really to expect anything to change next year unless you're just kind of hoping that things turn around in Anaheim. Uh, And Jonathan Bernier just, I think like this year, Bernier was better, according to Center. So I'm, I'm not even trying to take a stand. I just want to point it out that it's out in the universe, that that happened. And it's definitely possible that it could happen again.
1: Yeah, way to go Jonathan Bernier for making Elon proud once again. Uh, John Gibson is going to be the superior goalie next year. And I I'm with you Elon. I'm not going to like reach for him in drafts, but he's still draftable and he's been good on awful teams before. That's not enough to stop him. Like I said, I don't know what the deal is this year. I wonder if with Dallas Akin's, uh the team started doing like a different defensive system that's giving up uh, shots of a type that Gibson hasn't seen as often the last few years, and they're like, his weak spot maybe needs to practice more. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. I'm, going to, I'm still going to be looking for an offseason explanation that we can include uh, in our projections for next year. For now, my faith isn't shaken
0: okay it should be i think like you're like you're giving a lot of credit to dallas ekins like oh we had a system and like they just get used to or maybe they had no good system and maybe they're just letting in shots because their players were not playing well well
1: um, but it has to be a different kind of shot because i said that the protection that the ducks are giving gibson is not wildly different than it was in the carlisle slash bob murray years fair
0: okay uh anyway i don't really want to argue about this anymore i don't even feel so strong about my son i just like to <laughs> chat with you right and have an argument by the way, jonathan Burney's is only 31 years old it's not as if this guy's totally over the hill but anyway okay uh It was then really funny because we then talked about Ricard Raquel, who was still kind of new to the league at this point. He had started that year super strong playing with Getzlaf, who was still a superstar, but then Raquel went super cold for a stretch, only two points in nine games for a stretch in February. But then at the time of recording, Raquel was hot again. He had seven points in his previous seven games. I was actually saying on the show, I was worried that I'd made a huge mistake because I had dropped Ricard Raquel after that cold stretch Now I'd missed out on all these points and he wasn't even available for me anymore. And clearly it was a mistake that I dropped Raquel because he continued hot for the rest of the year. 11 points in his final 13 games. He ended the season with a 59-point pace, which was his, like, breakout year into fantasy relevance. And then the next year he put up a 69-point season. It seemed like we were all witnessing a budding superstar in Ricard Raquel. But then these last couple seasons have flooded that Raquel garden. And if 2019-20 is over, then Raquel ends with only 41 points in 64 games for a 53-point pace. So, Brian, what happened to this guy? Should we just kind of blame this on, okay, Ryan Getzlaff is, isn't that good anymore, and maybe Raquel was benefiting from getting all those sweet passes from Ryan Getzlaff a couple years ago? Or should we blame this on Anaheim just not being a place where anyone could succeed at the moment? Or maybe is Raquel just not as great, and maybe he's just like a 50-60 point guy for the next few seasons, and, you know, he just happened to have one really good year, uh, maybe a la and Andre Kasha, but maybe it's not something that he'll be able to keep up moving forward.
1: Okay, so you... Gave like three or four hypothetical answers to the question you asked, and I liked one of them, but I already can't remember which one it was. Uh so I, I, I guess, blamed
0: it on laugh. I blamed it on the team. Oh, I it was just- and
1: on the team, on the team. That's the one. That's the route I'm going with this. I, I think it's on the team, but it's not all on the team. Let's take a look at Raquel's career history. He was playing 17 and a half minutes a night. Three seasons ago when we recorded the podcast, we're reviewing this time. Uh, then the next season, he went up to 19 and a half minutes. Then the next season, he went down to 18 and a half minutes. And now this year, Ricard Raquel is back down to just over 18 minutes a night this year, which is awful close to that number back in 16, 17. And really, I think the reason that Raquel is struggling, one, is the team around him. But also, he's looking like a poster boy for five-on-five shooting percentage regression. If you look at his shooting percentages from the 16, 17 season till now, uh, this is how it goes. 19%, 13 and a half percent, 6%. And now this season, 8%. And on the power play this season, Raquel is shooting under 10%, which is about 5% lower than any other time in his career. All this is happening. All this weird shooting percentage changes are happening with reasonably steady numbers elsewhere for Raquel. Last season was a total throwaway due to some really awful variants. But this season actually looks more like the ones where Raquel had found success in the past. It actually looks better in several ways. Raquel is putting up... Career high five on five shot rates, shot attempt rates, expected goals rates. So I want to keep expecting better from Raquel, even though I suggested he was droppable last week before uh, he showed signs of life for the first time in a while. But last week on last week's episode, I backed off another guy who I've had long term love and faith for in Jonathan Marchessault. You know, I said, forget it. Maybe he's never really going to send beyond a reliably beyond a 60 point guy. I'm not ready to give up on Raquel the same way. I do hate that Raquel is stuck in Anaheim, which is probably still a year or two away from surrounding him with a reasonable amount of NHL-ready top six talent. But he's a really high-quality player, and he just needs a centerman. And I think 65, 70 points becomes within reach once he gets that, if he gets that.
0: Yeah, I guess we're waiting on Sam Steele, probably, to be that centerman. We saw glimpses of that at the end of last season. If you recall, Steele, Raquel, and Silverberg was a really strong line, and I was kind of hoping that would carry forward this year. Obviously, that didn't happen, and now we'll have to wait for next year. But yeah, it's a bummer that at the time, three years ago, we were excited about this guy's future, and for a while it was looking bright, and now hasn't been great, and we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of years. Uh, So then we were on the injuries side of the show, and the big news of the day was that Henrik Lundqvist had a muscle strain that would keep him out for a couple of weeks. And this was a really interesting discussion. This was at a time three years ago where the New York Rangers were still a good team. They were gonna be a playoff team. And I pointed out that Lundqvist only had a 913 save percentage at the time where he'd been a 920 plus save percentage guy every year since 2009-2010. And now in 2016-17, it was the first time that Lundqvist was sub 920. And then Brian, I had the audacity to ask you if maybe it's time to consider not keeping Henrik Lundqvist (gasps) in keeper leagues for the following season. And you know what? Clearly I was onto something at the time. I think it probably sounded like, Elon, how dare you? This is Henrik Lundqvist. But he ended up playing six more games in the 2016-17 season. He came back from the injury and he was terrible in those games. He brought his save percentage down to 9.10 overall. And then he put up a 9.16 and only 26 wins in 62 games in 2017-18. Then only a 9.07 save percentage last season. Currently, Lundqvist is sitting at a 9.05 save percentage this season and has clearly lost his job to Igor Shostyorkin. So how about that? I thought I was being a real renegade at the time but yeah that would have been a good time to sell high on Henrik Lundqvist if not even a few months before that Brian do you think there's like ever uh do you think there's a chance at this point that we'll ever talk about Henrik Lundqvist as being like fantasy relevant on the show like I kind of feel like we're pretty much done like at this point the Rangers have two goalies ahead of him in the depth chart and maybe next year one of them is gone like maybe Georgiev gets traded but it's hard to imagine Henrik Lundqvist ever being a guy that gets drafted in a fantasy league again unless it's like a crazy deep league where every goalie's owned
1: what a heartbreaking question. Like, I I read that you were going to ask me this question before we recorded, and just hearing the words come out,
0: out of your mouth, I... Keep going. It's cute, man. Brian, new thing for everyone listening. We're going to go low edits during these uh, paused NHL episodes. The baby episodes.
1: also really, really hates the possibility yeah. that Henrik Lundqvist, like, it's also wilting her a little bit as it wilts me. I don't know that Lundqvist is going to be fantasy relevant again. It feels like... Lungfist is relegated to the status that someone like Corey Crawford had for most of this season, especially before like he started playing really well, or even if he started playing really well, or maybe someone like Jonathan Quick or Devin Dubnik, who these guys, or maybe not Dubnik because he really sucks, but. Lundqvist could be someone in the future who's good for a spot start but not draftable nor necessarily your top streaming choice when you need that spot start. Of course some of that depends on the Rangers team quality and if they can keep playing the way they've been playing uh, as of late when next season comes around and also whether they're playing that way because of Shostyorkin or because of the rest of the team right because if it's just because of Shostyorkin and Lundqvist comes in oh this even hurts to say you might not play that well so yeah it's a it's seems it feels like a more definitive end of an area which you cleverly uh, saw coming three years ago
0: yeah uh Brian I would draft Jonathan Bernier before Henrik Lundqvist for sure so I
1: wouldn't draft either of them (laughs) you're like I wouldn't even draft John Gibson like I don't draft goalies but you're busy telling me how you draft Jonathan Bernier
0: I'll bet you I'm gonna get Bernier in the last round of my couple draft (laughs) next year or I guess I'm gonna be doing auction but uh whatever one dollar Jonathan Bernier I'm gonna get him okay Uh,
1: Enjoy that.
0: <laughs> uh, then, so, anyways, with Lungfist injured, we were like, okay, obviously everyone needs to rush out and grab Auntie Ranta, who was the backup goalie on the Rangers at the time. And in Ranta fashion, he didn't end up playing as much as we expected. In this case, because Lungfist actually just came back early. But Brian, I think this was the start of your Auntie Ranta love affair. Uh, he ended the season with a sparkling 9.22 save percentage in 30 games as the Rangers' backup. He followed that up the next year when he went to Arizona. He had a 9.30 save percentage in 47 games and. And then we fast forward to this season, and it's been another good year for Rontey, He's a nine twenty-one save percentage in thirty-three games. But seems to have lost the starting job to Darcy Kemper. We're kind of like back where we were three years ago with Rontey, where he's on a he's a good goalie on what seems like a decent team, but we're worried that the goalie ahead of him is going to get more starts. This time it's Kemper instead of Lundqvist. So. What are we going to do, Brian? If the season's over and then we're in the summer and we're trying to decide goalies to draft for next year, are we kind of in the same position as we were this year uh, when we were going Camper versus Ronta? I think at the time you even thought, like a year ago, you thought Ronta was going to end up taking the job. Where are you sitting now? If you're going into a draft right now, would you prefer Camper to Ronta? Do you think Ronta still has some long-term value? Like, it seems like a really good goalie, just in kind of an unfortunate situation.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's he's stuck behind a goalie who might be better than him, or at least has a better track record with the team they're both on. So I still love on Ranta, but I'm not going to kid myself that he's likely to see more than one out of three starts in Arizona until Kemper really stumbles, or maybe more likely... Uh, Kemper shows himself to be increasingly fragile and can't stay healthy I, I I don't know that that's what we're saying, but it was just a long recovery from this injury with a setback and so and we also noticed was it last week or two weeks ago that Kemper had rarely started more than two games in a row or barely three games in a row at all this season, and I think some of that was uh prevention and conservation of kemper's health so that will help Ranta see some starts, and I think Ranta's a number one caliber goalie, and he's being paid like one too. He's he's getting paid more than double what Kemper is, four and a quarter million to Kemper's 1.8 million, but Ranta is unlikely to get a chance to realize that full number one potential in his current situation where he is stuck for the moment behind Darcy Kemper. He remains a really great spot start or handcuff option on a defensively minded Arizona team, but that's it for Antti Ranta. I'm not drafting him with any hopes he is a number one goalie unless the situation changes.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then at the time uh, since Lundqvist was injured, a new goalie was going to come in to be the backup goalie which led to a lot of fun on the episode because you had already chided me earlier on in the show when I accidentally dropped uh, Can I, I'm i going to say it now and see if you get mad at me again, but I, I said hell on the show and then you were like, Elon, come on, we got, we got kids listening. And then you started saying like playing the heck out of it or something. You were saying heck a lot and then all the all of a sudden i brought up this new goalie coming in for the rangers magnus hellberg and you once again got mad at me and told me to stop swearing and then you referred to him as magnus heckberg for the remainder of the show which drove me crazy
1: as i mentioned it was a cuss-free episode of the keeping carlson <laughs> a hockey podcast which is not true now because you just said hell a bunch of times and you said the p word so many times earlier
0: what's the p word
1: it, well it starts with a p ends with an s has a little is in between
0: i did did i I don't. You oh, were talking about like diarrhea. Three times. I, I don't even know what word you're talking about right now. <laughs> P and it ends with s and it has an i in the middle. Piss. Yes. I didn't say that. You did at the start of the show. Go check the tape. You
1: were talking about how to deal with other fantasy owner. Like how to deal oh, with these tricky questions. And you're like, right. oh well, in that case, it doesn't count. I didn't actually say it.
0: Well, I was saying like pissed off, like angry, <laughs> but you're you're worried. I don't know. I feel like it's it's maybe a bit crude when you're just talking about the bodily function, but I think it's a pretty common saying. But I, I think we got it. This is, again, we're recapping the episodes. We have to get back into the same argument that we had three years ago. Uh, fun thing, by the way, on this Rangers section is we started uh, pumping up Mika Zibanejad, my current nemesis, who bumped me from the Cacupful quarterfinals last week. Uh, Zibanejad was still a new Ranger at that point, and he scored two goals versus Carolina right before we recorded the episode, and he had gotten on the top power play with Cry Writer, Zuccarello, Stepan, and Ryan McDonough. Before that, Zibanejad had been on a cold streak, only 3 points in 10 games, which is why you know on the show I was saying, oh, he might be in free agency, you might want to grab this guy, he's just had a good game and he's getting good deployment. And Zibanejad ended the season very strong. This was another piece of great advice we gave Brian. He ended with 10 points in his final 13 games. Uh, he ended the season with 54-point pace overall. It was 37 points in 56 games, he missed some time, but 54-point pace, not too shabby. And he'd put up a similar pace in 2017-18 before turning into the monster that we now know him as and yeah it's pretty crazy that we were talking about free agent Mika Zibanejad we're gonna to get to some other players that we talked about as potential free agents that are right now must own like potential first round graphics and fantasy
1: good call Elon what a great call also you know what I realized last season's or last week's episode was titled 93 till infinity but it should have been called 93s till infinity because we talked about Zibanejad and Ryan Nugent Hopkins both wearing that number and crushing it, I think every player should just change their number.
0: Yeah, to 93. Yeah. Why don't just change it to 99? Then they could all be like Wayne Gretzky. Even oh, better. C- that's a better idea. Okay. Or 97. But anyway, okay. Uh, and then, of course, as is the case in like 50% of Keeping Carlson episodes, we talked about how the Pittsburgh Penguins had a bunch of injuries. Here's a quote from the show that I said. I said, Letang, still out for who knows how long. Horkvist has a concussion now. Haglin out for a month. So obviously, Letang and Horkvist were very familiar with them being injured. I then referenced how some minor pieces were injured, including Cullen, Mata, Brian Rust, kind of fun that at the time we considered him a minor piece considering how things went this year. Uh, Trevor Daly, so the Penguins were hurting. But then I mentioned the line combinations on the team, and I mentioned how Jake Gensel had gotten on the top line with Crosby and Connor Sherry, I guess, with Hornquist out. So it was like a great opportunity for Jake Gensel. And it's kind of interesting because at the time, if you recall, that's the season where Gensel just came up like halfway through the season. Like he was a rookie this year, and he came up really strong, if, if you recall, had like a few big games. Everyone jumped on him, but then he slowed down and he mo- was moved off the top line and he fell into free agency. And then at the time we were recording this podcast, I was again talking about a potential free agent, Jake Gensel, and saying maybe people should go out and rush to add him. It's actually pretty funny, Brian. Then you said that you had dropped Pat Maroon for Gensel recently, and you were hoping that was going to work out. It's pretty crazy to imagine right now uh, putting these two guys in the same category. Obviously, by the way, you didn't regret the ad of Gensel, but you were probably bummed about dropping the Oilers' top-liner Pat Maroon, who actually had two straight multi-point games after we recorded that show. The Oilers had route wins over Dallas and Boston, scoring seven goals in each game, and Pat Maroon, if you recall, was playing with Connor McDavid. But anyway, let's get back to the Penguins and Jake Gensel. So that season ended. Gensel was great Uh, and then everyone was super hyped over Gensel and Connor Sherry because they both were doing so well with Crosby at the end of the season and Sherry for the whole season only for them both to kind of put up underwhelming numbers in 2017-18 like Sherry pretty much disappeared completely and Gensel ended up with 48 points in 82 games but then Gensel put up those 40 goals and 76 points in 2018-19 and was on pace for even better before getting hurt this season so Brian any lessons from this like uh, this whole Jake Gensel saga where he was sort of like amazing then a down year and then an amazing year do we have any lessons we can take maybe other players who have similarly sort of been on our radars then we lost faith in them but now it's time to consider them you know finally breaking out Ala la Gensel next year
1: Plus, a change, right, with the Pittsburgh Penguins and injuries and new players on Crosby's line. Uh, three years ago, though, we were looking at uh, young baby Jake Gunsell, who had 21 goals and 21 assists for, for 42 points in 33 AHL games as a 22-year-old in his first pro season, and that plus his having been a third-round pick of Pittsburgh in 2013 was all we had to go on, Though we also had that classic evergreen question to guide us. Is he playing with Sidney Crosby? Then yes, you probably want him. And we applied that to Jake Gensel. And it's funny that on that episode, I said that Gensel had Sherry-like production, which of course was just because Sherry had gotten going first. Who saw them uh, diverging in Fortune so much since then? Maybe we, I don't know if we did. Of course, I always, I was like, I still hold a candle for Connor Sherry, but not to the level that he was at. Anyway, you mentioned how Getzel disappointed the following year, but that was mostly because of some heavy duty shooting regression, which saw his rookie five on five shooting percentage of 21%. Wow, that's like twice as high as the average NHLer. Uh, fall by more than half to settle at just below 10% shooting success for Jake Gensel at five on five as a sophomore. And then things got better in his third year in 1819 because Gensel got three more minutes a night at five on five and his shooting percentage bounced back up to 17%, which all led us to posit on this year's almanac that Jake Gensel would be about a 15% shooter this year, which, uh, we were just about right on, by the way, that we still projected Gensel. For 15 points less than he's on pace for, which was because while we hoped for top power play deployment, we didn't expect it to go quite as well as it has so far this year with just 39 games played. Gensel is already just two points shy of his career high of 12 power play points. So just imagine if he had gotten to play another 43 games and uh, essentially had a chance at doubling his career high in power play points to get to keep on his 90 point pace. So, you asked me a question, Elon um about what like and I misinterpreted it so I'm gonna answer it with a misinterpretation and then I'll go back to the true interpretation so um you were like okay what what future Gensels do we see and I took that to mean what super hypes players in their rookie seasons may let us down in their sophomore years because of shooting percentage regression at five on five and one name jumps way out for me did you want to guess you do you have a thought on who who we've seen be awesome so far this year but uh on a very high shooting percentage that might not last
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, only a few players that are rookies have been awesome, like Victor Olofsson, I guess, Dominic Kubalik. Is it, is it one of them or is it one of the defensemen?
1: Ah, you got it. Dominic Kubalik is having a fantastic season, right? He's up to, uh, what's he up to? 46 points in 68 games, many of them coming recently. 30 goals also and this is after like he wasn't scoring a lot at the start of the season but he's also shooting 19 percent at five on five and his his actual goal numbers double those of his expected goals numbers so he's a guy who might disappoint next year because of shooting percentage regression i'll also toss martin nichas name out there though think that a potential increase in his role next year could help wash out the fact that he's scoring on 15 percent of his shots at five on five which could be for real, or it could also be too many. Um, his expected goals numbers suggest that maybe he's closer to like a 10% shooter. On defense, Cal McCarr and John Marino seem to be a bit high on the amount of shots they're converting on. But that doesn't move the needle much because they're guys who are going to pick up a majority of their points via assists. I, saw, I I see you scoffing at that.
0: Well, no, I'm scoffing because you said Cal Macar when we all cal- know that it's it's the <laughs> vegetable that we all know. and
1: yeah, love. Yeah, I, well, I, I I started with the Cal. I went Kale. <laughs> Uh, no. Anyway, uh, the, your actual question was, who was exciting as a rookie uh, and disappointing in year two, but could break out in the third year of their yeah. careers?
0: You get, and, well, it could be these answers, right? It could be Kubalik, where you say he was exciting as a rookie. You've already predicted that he's going to be worse next year. Maybe he will be, you know, great in the third year. But I guess yeah. I wanted to look at someone who's going into that third year now. Uh, I came up with one answer. Or do you want to give your answer first?
1: Uh, I have a couple answers. Ooh, okay. I, how about Alex DeBrinkett? Who went from a 76 point pace in, well, I, so he's actually a year behind on this curve, right? right? He was, he was really awesome in his sophomore season, then struggled this year in his third year. But I think he's got a huge bounce back coming back next year. And again, like Gensel's, Gensel's troubles were all shooting percentage related. So I'm just looking at guys with shooting percentages, plus if they can get some more power play time, that would be a bonus. And Alex Dobrynka, we know, has been on and off the top unit and a lot of off lately. So he's someone I've also got Jake DeBrusk uh, penciled in as a possibility mm-hmm. and a, a low key one who still doesn't quite answer your question. But Sam Steele in his first season, he scored six goals on his first 33 shots as an NHLer uh, while playing 22 games he had that hat trick that got everyone excited but he was shooting 16% at 5 on 5 Sam Steele this season has the same number of goals 6 goals on 85 shots for a 6% shooting percentage, which is a 10% drop from his first year in the league. So if Sam Steele is like, say, a 10% shooter and can get a bigger role next year, maybe he will have, like, not to Gensel Heights bounce back, but he'll follow this sort of trajectory from his first appearances in in the NHL were exciting, then a huge drop in his second year, and then he picked it up again in his third.
0: Yeah, I think Sam Steele is a great answer. He's gonna be someone that's gonna to be totally off people's radars, probably, especially because Anaheim's so bad. But especially if you're gonna hold a candle to Ricard Raquel, then you're probably also gonna expect Sam Steele to potentially impress if he gets to uh, you know, play with Raquel and get uh increased role, which you'd imagine it's gonna happen because Geslas' gonna probably keep like regressing down until he like finally is out of the league. And Sam Steele, that's gonna be more opportunity for him. Uh the one player I thought of that like You know, last season was pretty exciting, is Andreas Janssen. He was great in his first rookie season. He had 43 points in 73 games, really picked it up at the end when he got on the top power play. And then this year, he's been like a disappointment. Like, I think Janssen was drafted in most leagues and then is in free agency right now in most leagues. And you never know. Obviously, this is going to depend a ton on deployment, and maybe he won't get it, but... It's possible. I don't think he's going to be a Gensel. I just want to say like, he's a guy who was good in his first year and not as good in his second year. Uh, but yeah, so those are some fun names. And Brian, with that, uh, let's go to where we went next on the show, which was to Florida because we were in the injuries section and Aaron Ekblad suffered a concussion. So that was a bummer at the time. Obviously, he's fine now. He hasn't missed much time, so good for Aaron Ekblad. Uh, but at the time, we were marveling at what a crazy year Ekblad was having in terms of his shots on goal. Like, that year, 2016-17, Ekblad had like a terrible year points wise he ended with only a 25 point pace the worst of his career even up till now but he paced for 267 shots that season and he's never broken 200 before or since so somehow he had this like crazy shooting year yet didn't get any points and now this season Like, it's totally flipped, right? He's back to his normal shooting numbers, like pacing for less than 200. But this season, he is on a 50-point pace. I don't even think people have realized it. We didn't even talk about Ekblad, like, all season. But he's got 41 points in 67 games, which, like I say, is a 50-point pace pace so man Aaron Eckblad first of all what happened in 2016-17 why did he have this random blip where he was shooting like Brent Burns and also is it possible that this is actually the Aaron Ekblad that we can expect moving forward like is the former first overall pick finally breaking out and maybe is he going to be a 50 point guy for the next following few seasons and man imagine if Keith Yandel would ever be out of the lineup or you know he never misses games and imagine if Yandel was gone all of a sudden Eckblad could get top power play time and maybe he has upside for even more
1: Okay, so uh, first off, congratulations for noticing this, Elon. I feel like like if and anyone listening to an episode of a fantasy hockey podcast three or four days after the season has been suspended, I refuse to use the PR speak word, you get to know this. This is your reward. You get to find out how awesome Aaron Ekblad is doing this season. Like you said, Elon, it's still a bummer that Ekblad's elite shot numbers never held from a few years ago, but this season... Uh, unbeknownst to so many of us, Aaron Ekblad is on pace for his best offensive season ever. In 67 games, he's actually already broken his career high of 39 points. How and why has this happened? Well, how Ekblad has done it is with a huge uptick in his five on five assists. And so next you're like, oh yeah, but they're all secondaries, right? Wrong. His secondary assist numbers have grown, but the story has really been in Ekblad's primary assists, which are coming three to four times more often per 60 minutes than any other time in his career. And he's not just beating past Aaron Ekblad in primary assist rates. He's beating the entire NHL. Aaron Ekblad leads all defensemen in primary assists per 60 minutes and is tied for total primary assists amongst all defensemen with none other than Roman Yossi. This means that Aaron Ekblad ranks ahead of guys like Yossi, John Carlson, Victor Hedman, Eric Carlson, Thomas Chabot, In primary assist getting, that's how he's doing it. The why, though? I'm still trying to figure out, because Ekblad still has similar minutes, similar on-ice goal-scoring numbers, similar power play time. His on-ice shooting percentage looks a little high, which would mean that maybe his teammates are converting a little more often on pucks they get from him. But it's not so high that it explains so much of Ekblad's surge in primary assist getting. Uh, So let's remember to look into this more in the offseason. I feel like I would need to talk to someone who watches a lot of Florida Panthers games and and get a sense of whether their offensive system somehow runs through Ekblad this year. Like he's the last guy to touch the puck before setting up whoever the eventual goal score is much more often than before. So way to go, Aaron Ekblad. And I thought if without those elite shot rates, he'd never really reclaim some legit fantasy value but if he can keep this up and there's no obvious reason that he won't uh then he's definitely a legit fantasy option like amongst say like the charlie mcavoy types
0: yeah and hey like mcavoy is also a guy who might have a nice uptick because tory krug is a free agent so we don't know what's gonna happen with the power play even though we know matt Grislik usually takes that top power play when the opportunity arises but yeah it'll be interesting like keith yandel's not gonna be around forever right so there might still be a time coming up he might just be a late Uh. bloomer
1: I don't know. Like, we've had this conversation a lot about whether Aaron Eckblad is a true blue offensive defenseman or power play quarterback. I'm, I'm not convinced he is. We've seen him get a look at the role a couple times and do nothing with it. But I'm keeping an open mind. He's yeah. still young, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's okay. He's around, like, mid-20s now. I guess yeah, another guy that, a guy that jumps to mind, like Alex Petrangelo, didn't seem like he was going to be a top power play guy. Like, he was behind Kevin Shattenkirk. And then by the time Shattenkirk left, now like, Petrangelo is a top offensive defenseman in the league or among I love whatever. that analogy. Maybe it'll be the same. I guess we'll have to wait. I I love when you love my analogies. Uh, There was a point on this episode when you didn't like an analogy I made. So uh, we'll we'll get to that later. But I I like that you like this one. Uh, Since we were on Florida, uh, it's fun to re-listen to us talking about the Panthers' lines. They had apparently shaken them up recently. So Barkov was on the top line. So he was still like the star center at the time. He was playing with Yarmir Yager, who you brought up, and Riley Smith. then the second line was Huberdo with Marciusso and Shrochek. Then we had Byugstad, Sevier, and Vanek. Remember uh, Thomas Vanek? He actually had a good start to the year before he got traded to Florida if you recall he started really strong on Detroit that was the third line anyways okay there's some other fun UC Jokinen was on the fourth line um I still can't believe Brian that they had Marcia so and Riley Smith and they gave them both up to Vegas in expansion and they like made a trade where they gave something to Vegas in exchange for them taking Jonathan Marcia so or instead I the whole thing was so crazy to me, though I guess you can't blame Florida. Maybe they knew that they needed to make room because they were gonna be getting Dadanov for free and Mike Hoffman basically for free in the next couple of years. I don't know if like they had that foresight, but obviously Florida's not hurting because yeah, it sucks that they lost Marcia so and Riley Smith for nothing, but now they've gotten Dadinov and Hoffman they're still a very high scoring team if only they could have goaltending uh too bad they don't have a lot of money tied up in a goalie who's not looking too good but maybe that's my hot take for next year right that Bobrovsky's gonna win the the Vesna
1: wow you're blowing it all on this episode before the hot takeoff and maybe someone else feel free to take that take and take credit for it kktakes at gmail.com or if you're a patron uh, for one dollar a month by the way all the perks you get the bonus episodes you get the Facebook group you get our community which I, I honestly I feel so grateful to have right now one dollar a month patreon.com slash keeping Carlson
0: right and don't forget the best thing about being a patron you're going to be able to play in these drafts I'm going to oh, make yeah. drafts where you know the results beforehand it's going to be wild <laughs>
1: right to have some fa- fantasy fun while we're all paused. Yarmu um, Yager, can we just take a moment to talk about him as a Florida Panther because while I was looking at his long and storied career, I realized that the Panthers, they were Yager's eighth NHL team and it, he only was on one more team after them but this, his time with Florida it was just the first time since his time as a New York Ranger that he'd spent two full seasons with the same team. In fact, Yager only spent Three, more time with three other teams over the course of his career. Uh, I think it was like 24 years, nine teams. Florida ranked fourth in games played. Can you name the, the teams that Yager played more with?
0: Okay, well, obviously Pittsburgh and then the Rangers. And then I guess there's going to be one more. I know he went to Dallas. Is it Dallas? No. It's not Dallas. Not Dallas. Where else did Yager play? I don't know. It's I
1: Washington, where he's oh, yeah. traded yeah, from yeah, Pittsburgh, remember for Robert Long, yeah. uh, and uh, he he actually like, and I think of him more as a capital than i do as a panther but he only played eight more games as a cap than he did a panther so i guess he loved that florida weather but you wanted me to talk about who marcia so
0: no, i just brought it up i just said it was funny that uh, they lost marcia so and riley smith but then they got mike hoffman and dad enough soon afterwards but i didn't have a question for you
1: okay yeah i mean i like that we were talking about marcia so staying relevant on that episode three years ago and Riley Smith is a dark horse who could help you here and there uh, and putting their names up there with Yager because they were great options and we also mentioned that Ole Okunin and Thomas Vanek can definitely be no. let go so we were right UC, on that too. It,
0: it was UC Okunin. Oh, it, oh, oh. was
1: it by then?
0: <laughs> it wasn't Ole Okunin. Okay it's only three years ago Brian. Alright uh, so then after Florida we went to talk about the Ottawa Senators who had some injury trouble. They lost both Kyle Turris and Mark Stone to injuries and then a bunch of unexpected guys were chipping in just like last week's episode if you recall Brian we were talking talking about unexpected senators chipping in. But at the time, three years ago, it was Alex Burrows and our friend J.G. Pajot, who was surprisingly stepping in and being a bit fantasy relevant before he would disappear again until the whole team was gone. And then this year he was like their top center. Uh, Then we talked about Eric Carlson had five points in his last two games, and he'd been inching back to the point per game pace that he had the previous year. At the time of the recording, Carlson was up to 63 points in 67 games. I said, what a hero. Then I predicted that he was going to hit 82 by the end of the season. Do you recall if Carlson ended up making it up to point per game before season's end in 2016-17?
1: I don't recall. All I recall that this is the last time it was remotely fun to be a Sens fan. It was when they were one goal away from the Stanley Cup final, which we heard nine more times, uh, both as an excuse to load up and then an excuse to blow up the team. Uh, but it's funny because Erik Carlson like still has that narrative where he's always inching back up towards that point per game or maybe more seventy point pace these days after a slow start. So tell me, did he make it? Did he get to a point? Per, did he get to that eighty two points on the season that you predicted?
0: no he didn't it was sad not only that but even he even missed some games so he only ended the season with 76 games i'm sure people depending on him were especially frustrated that he missed a few games near the end i guess to rest up for the playoffs and he ended with 69 points in 76 games so uh
1: 74 point pace
0: yeah not bad, but not the eighty two from the year before. And I right now people would love to get that pace from Eric Carlson next season. Maybe he could still do it in San Jose, you never know.
1: I think he's got a I think he's got a good chance. Spoiler alert.
0: Okay. Spoiler for what?
1: Like that if anyone was didn't want to be spoiled and wanting to know what I thought about Eric Carlson <laughs> okay. next year.
0: Sure. I guess spoiler for the almanac that we'll be doing over the summer, probably if the world still is around. Uh, So in the same vein of recommending, maybe adding free agent guys who are now superstars in Gensel and Zibanejad, uh, we then talked about a bunch of injuries in Tampa Bay, including Tyler Johnson, who had been on the top line in power play with Kucherov. And so we were saying, wow, this is a great opportunity for someone to step in. And I pointed out that the lines in the previous game were Kucherov with Palat and a guy named Braden Point, a new young, whippersnapper Braden Point and then Braden Point was also on the top power play with Drouan Kucherov Palat and Victor Hedman and I said that it looks like Braden Point may need to get on our radars of course him being pointless in his last six games makes him easy to overlook but I asked like Brian would you still take a flyer on him while he's on the top line and power play with Kucherov and company and like I'm embarrassed to say that we both kind of danced around Point being worth adding for the rest of the show comparing to the other hot street guys that we brought up I don't think either of us ever ended up picking Point over a lot of the other options Which was definitely wrong, because Point ended that season amazingly. He had 16 points in his final 15 games, so over a point per game... Then, of course, that was just the start, because the following season, he put up a 66-point season in 17-18, which I don't think we predicted, and then he followed that up with 92 points in 18-19. Uh, he slowed down a bit this year, but still, he's at 64 points in 66 games, so an 80-point pace. So, Braden Point, huge superstar, and this was right at the start, where I literally said, Brian, should we get this guy on our radars? So, uh I feel kind of bad, because we clearly were a little bit behind the times on Braden Point, and we were recommending, as, as I'll get to soon, I recommended Jordan Wheel over Braden Point and Braden Point definitely had the stronger end of the season and then a huge career after that.
1: I know, Elon, we don't put ourselves like we were talking about Braden Point and saying he, w- he needed to be on your on your radar, I don't think we, like we didn't know much about him the same way we didn't know much about Jake Gensel, right? Like I in my notes, I mentioned how he was drafted by Tampa in the middle of the third round back in 2014, around the same place Gensel was actually. And this was just his first pro season. And we had already talked about him a few times because he had some in- occasionally interesting deployment and some good shots on goal numbers. And we mentioned that Dauber Prospect saw Braden Point as a top six playmaker. So I think I think we did a pretty good job raising awareness about Braden Point, Uh, just putting him up against Jordan Wheel. I don't know that that was totally fair because Jordan Wheel was uh, doing well. Like he was on a hot run. He was on a a hotter run at the time. And Braden Point, we had no idea what his deployment would be down the stretch. And uh, again, we still mentioned like you're saying like we got it wrong. I still think we did a good job.
0: Okay, we did a great job. Go back and listen to the episode, and then uh, send us lots of praise and money for all the great recommendations we <laughs> made. Uh, yeah. Okay. This gets even crazier. Okay, so I've already talked about how we were like saying Gensel and Zabanajad maybe good guys to add on a free agency. Add Brayden, point to the list. Then we got to Carolina, and we were oh, super yeah. excited because Carolina had a five game week coming up and there we were saying basically that probably all of the Hurricanes are in free agency aside from Jeff Skinner and I was talking about like maybe Sebastian Ajo or Elias Lindholm maybe good guys to add or Jordan Stahl but like Sebastian Ajo was another guy another superstar who we were talking about at the time as someone maybe you want to add for the following week he ended the season with 11 points in 17 games and Elias Lindholm had 12 points so neither of them were like huge pickups like I guess they were good for that five game week uh, definitely Braden Point was the best if we could go back in time I would have recommended Brayden Point of all of these players for the end of that season. But Brian, let's ask a a fun question right now. I know you're going to hate me for this, but I love getting a ranking of players. If we wanted to rank the March 12th, 2017 available free agents for how well we think they'll do next year, let's say points only, you've got Zabanajad. Aho, Gensel, Braden Point. Uh, How would you rank these four guys? I guess we could, you know, honorable mention to Elias Lindholm, who's like probably the last of the group, but probably still like a 65 plus point guy. So it's funny that we were also talking about him as a nobody, but of those four superstars, Zibanejad, Aho, Gensel, Point, how would you rank them for next year in terms of total points?
1: Ah, uh, Elon, this is a hard question because this season they're all between roughly eighty or ninety point paces, except for of course Mika Zabanajad and his furious run lately, which has put him on pace for a hundred and eight points. And I think all this scoring is reasonably sustainable. Like No one is really crazy overperforming. We mentioned last week that Zabanejad on the power play, probably scoring a little too often. Gensel also had been shooting high on the power play, scoring on 27% of his shots, but would you believe that's Gensel's three-year shooting percentage there? Oh, it's actually 26%, but it's pretty much the same thing. So maybe he can keep scoring goals on the power play the way he has been, and maybe Zabanejad can do it too. Like, all all these guys, uh, Zabanejad, Gensel, Aho, and Point, are all elite, and I can only spit, ha- split hairs and nitpick to find anything resembling an Achilles heel amongst this group. If I'm ranking them on who I think is going to do best next year, uh, like it, it's not fun, <laughs> it's not easy, but I'm gonna go Zabanejad, Point, Gensel, and Aho. And if we're doing confidence bars, if you'll give me the luxury of adding, you know, my degree of confidence on being right on each of those guys, I'm the most confident about Sebastian Ajo being fourth in the group. I'm the next most confident about Jed being first in the group and pointing Gensel on my toss-ups at two and three. Uh, they could flip spots and both are actually capable of being first or fourth in the group. Uh, so like there's a lot of ways this could go, but I, I put my mark down though. This doesn't necessarily equate to draft order, right? If I was going like ADP, I might have Gensel first, then Zibanejad, then Point, then Aho. Again, I think Aho is probably the fourth guy of this group to get picked, even though he he feels like the most reliable. He feels like the Tarasenko of the group. You know what I mean? Um, So anyway, that's how I would have them ranked. Just points, Zibanejad, Point, Gensel, (laughs) Aho. What do you think, Elon? Sounds good. (laughs) I
0: agree. <laughs> I agree with you that it's nitpicking, and there's no uh, point. You out. made
1: me answer the question; you're avoiding it yourself.
0: <laughs> okay, I will say that Braden' point seems to me to be the most like passenger-y of them, like I think he's really awesome, but also I think that he's the one who would be affected the most if he wasn't playing with like a Kucherov or a Stamkos. But also, he probably will be playing with one of those guys, so probably doesn't matter. But I feel like he does really well when he's with Kucherov, and I think there were stretches this season where he was away from Kucherov and it wasn't going as well for him. Like I feel like Zabanjad is a guy who's just going to do awesome no matter who he's playing with, as we've seen. Like even with Chris Kreider injured, he still had like a five goal game and he wasn't even on a line with Panarin aside from the power play. So I think I think you have it pretty right. Maybe I'd put Gensel over Point, but then of course. Cancel is coming off an injury, so and Crosby I guess is getting a year older. So I think you nailed it, Brian good job and it's just really fun to me that we were talking about these guys as like as nobodies it's like maybe yeah these guys out of FA and look at them now We if you could have all four of these guys in your league you'd be crushing it um, but just to show that they're not all winners like I said we then talked about Jordan Wheel who was on a hot streak we were excited about him because he was on the top line in Philly with Giroux and Simmons and yeah you asked me Brian point versus wheel and I said well actually I said this I said to grab wheel for Monday Tuesday then point for Wednesday Thursday so I was trying to game it but I said if you had to pick one I take wheel because the tampa injuries may heal soon while wheel looks like he'll stick on the top line and like obviously point just ended up sticking with good players and had a great end of the year wheel unfortunately ended with only eight points in 13 games compared to point 16 and now jordan wheel i believe is on montreal like, he's still in the league i don't think he's doing anything but uh he- he's out there
1: yeah he's like a good utility guy i think he was much loved in philadelphia i think he's also much liked in montreal for being a good mid sixer um and we mentioned like he was on a run at this time three years ago and we named the episode streaky wheel just to tease so we were sort of suggesting that it wasn't going to continue i mean he doesn't have a huge pedigree or anything or he didn't then he still doesn't now and i think he just why are we even talking about him i guess because he was exciting three years ago and it was a, a rare exciting moment for jordan wheel
0: yeah, hey, I mean, this is a recap episode, Brian. It's like if we were doing a recap of Season 3, Episode 7 of... Uh entourage, you know, we'd have to go through every single scene, so we're doing the same here. And next up, we went to the Washington Capitals. This is a pretty funny one in hindsight, so here's what I said. I said, another no-namer on a line with a superstar, so I was referencing uh, Jordan Wheel there, I said another no-namer on a line with a superstar is Tom Wilson playing with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov in Washington. So at the time, Tom Wilson I guess was a nobody, and I was even saying, like, I'm actually pretty impressed. Wilson hits so much. You know, Brian, this guy Tom Wilson, he throws so many hits, so he might be valuable. If he's playing with Ovechkin, he could also give you hits in your banger's Leagues and Brian, back at this time, you didn't hate Tom Wilson yet. So, you, you know, wouldn't... why? <laughs> What's that? Why?
1: You know, I didn't hate Tom Wilson yet because we were six months away from seeing his first suspension. Which, by the way, if I can go off for a bit here, that suspension, his first suspension came in preseason after a late hit to Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues, who, yes, even three years ago was getting a crack at the lineup. And then, after Tom Wilson returned from the two preseason games, he was paused. In the same preseason, he boarded another St. Louis Blues, Sammy Blaze, and got a four-game pause. Then Tom Wilson took a break from doing dangerous things to to St. Louis Blues players by illegally checking Zach Aston Reese in the head, uh, but then was triggered again by the royal blue and gold colors of St. Louis and got 20 games for illegally hitting Oscar Sundquist in the head. Uh, Like, what the hell happened with a young Tom Wilson and the St. Louis Blues?
0: Yeah, I guess they had a bit of a rivalry going. I have no idea. That's really interesting. I I never uh, put that together that all these suspensions were against St. Louis. Uh, So now, like moving forward to the future. Oh, at the time, by the way, anyone who jumped on our Tom Wilson advice obviously weren't too happy about it because he only had three points over the rest of the season. But now he's looking pretty good, especially in your bangers leagues. He's sitting at a 53-point pace this season. Same as last year, actually. So he's been pretty much what you would have expected when you drafted him. Brian, do you think that we'll just be predicting another 50 to 55-point season for Tom? Tom Wilson next year, or do you think that it's possible that he'll, you know, maybe go even higher or, or maybe lower? Of course, I I feel like you're probably gonna say lower at the same.
1: No, I think, yeah, I'm actually going to say the opposite. I think that Tom Wilson is probably can repeat this again next year. And I'll acknowledge also that there's reason to maybe expect more. he's offering this season though not as like some breakout skilled player like I don't think Tom Wilson has a Brian Rust like turn in him but I can see enough quality and variance in Tom Wilson's numbers to suggest that there's a chance he could creep towards 60 points if he holds his current deployment and the guys around him stay the same both in being the same people and having the same playing abilities.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so I get, and hey, he hasn't been suspended for a while, so maybe he's you know learned from his past, and maybe he's more mature and grown up now. You know, he's hanging out with Alex Ovechkin. Maybe he's a good influence on him. Uh, by the way, speaking of Ovechkin, we were talking about him on that episode because he had been snake bitten. I was asking you, should people be worried about Ovechkin? He had gone nine straight games without a goal, and even more if you only looked at even strength goals. It Had been a really long time since he scored an even strength goal. Uh, thankfully, on the show, we didn't say that Ovi was done. In fact, we both said it was was a good buy low time to get Ovechkin if you still had trades open like you know a lot of leagues that already passed the trade deadline uh, Brian you said specifically you should buy low on Ovi but keep in mind that he's in decline so don't pay full Ovi price uh, so and then later on when I was asking you okay so then if you had Ovechkin would you trade him and then you were sort of hedging so you really weren't sure but it was interesting how you said that Ovi was declining because it turned out he definitely wasn't declining he was teasing us that he might be but after that episode first of all he ended that season with six goals and seven assists and 14 games. So he's, you know, scoring every second game and almost point per game. So, and then he continued after that. So remember that this is 2016-17. Disappointing season for Ovechkin. 33 goals, only 69 points. So a down year for him. The following year, 49 goals. The following year, 50 goals. And this season, Ovechkin is at 48 goals already through only 68 games. That's a 58 goal pace. So this is definitely not someone that's declining. It seems like someone that's finding another gear and going back to the production that he had when he was first getting into the league. So Brian, like, will Ovechkin ever be in decline? <laughs> like, I feel like we can never say it until like he has like two straight seasons where he has fewer goals.
1: Totally. I, I also feel the same way. The drought we were talking about three years ago, uh, that turned out to be a 10-game goal drought, the longest of Ovechkin's career. He hasn't done that again since. Uh, and it was one of 14 times in Ovechkin's entire career that he'd gone more than five games without a goal. Shout out to uh, Becca H's article over at Japer's Rink for that little tidbit. Ovechkin has these seasons where he looks in decline, and 1617 was one of them. 18, 19, just two seasons ago. Well, if you're counting the, yeah, two seasons ago is another recent example, but then he follows up those seasons with these bounce backs that erase any doubt in his ability to continue putting up numbers. Now Ovechkin is age 34. And as like my take on him is that we've never seen a goal scorer like him. So. I have no idea what Ovechkin's aging curve looks like. A more human hockey player with Ovechkin's profile would definitely be trailing off by this point, but Ovechkin is a less human hockey player. He's a guy I have no problem just throwing out all my prognostication and projection techniques and saying, let's just watch Ovechkin and enjoy him and hope the ride never ends because who knows how long it'll be till we see another one like him.
0: Yeah, maybe one of the most sad, I guess, outcomes of the NHL season getting paused is this is going to make it harder for Ovechkin to catch Wayne Gretzky. And I, I still think he could do it, but obviously losing a, a few regular season games right now, it's going to hurt. But I, he's just, yeah, he keeps scoring. If he could keep putting up 55, 60 goals per season, it won't take him that long. Uh, then on that same episode, th- that was the season, Brian, where the Capitals decided that John Carlson wasn't enough and they brought in Kevin Shankirk at the trade deadline to try to help them for a playoff run. And then I mentioned on the show, though Kevin Shattenkirk got suspended a lot of people were being very naughty in this episode and so Shattenkirk was suspended for two games and I was saying oh maybe uh now John Carlson will do something at least for these two games and he didn't he was actually a a total dud that season he only ended with 37 points in 73 games but since then John Carlson has taken over as the top power play defenseman on Washington and he's paid for 68 or higher ever since already at 75 points in 69 games this season so it would have been interesting to see how high he would have ended this year probably would have been over a point per game
1: Yeah, he only needed seven more points over his last 13 games to be a point-per-game player. That seems very doable for the season John Carlson was having. So uh, what's to say? What a fantastic season for John Carlson. He is also someone who benefits from the economy built by Alex Ovechkin's scoring, right? So it'll be really interesting to see in Washington if and when uh, Alex Ovechkin starts to tail off and decline the exact imprecise impact that has on players like Carlson and uh, Tom Wilson who are also aging as well but they're not as close to falling off the age curve as Alice ovechkin should be at least
0: yeah I don't I think it'll be around the same time honestly I think like when ovechkin is like 38 and then John Carlson's in his early 30s I feel like they'll both be tailing off at the same time so maybe we won't ever find out what John Carlson in his prime is like without ovechkin which is probably just fine for him uh so then we went on to another player that's pretty much a superstar now but at the time we talked about them like they were complete garbage Speak uh, we for were,
1: yourself uh, on this one
0: okay uh so we went to columbus and i brought up both sam Gagne and oliver bjorkstrand being on hot runs playing together on the third line in columbus and i right away said i prefer either over brayden point so I, ne- I needed to make sure to uh <laughs> downplay brayden point again at that point in the show and brian like Oliver Bjorkstrand at this point just is so, like the, the year he had this year, like he started slow but he ended with like 30 points in his final 30 games, this guy's been unbelievable I'm really curious to see what you're going to think about him like I also mentioned how we talked about Elias Lindholm on the show before, like I don't think I'm going to ask you to compare Bjorkstrand to the Aho Sabanajad group that you ranked but why don't we like rank Bjorkstrand with an Elias Lindholm, who was another available player at this time, going into next year I feel like Elias Lindholm's probably a solid bet for like being a, I don't know, sixty 65 point guy at least but bjorkstrand from what we've seen over these past 30 games of his maybe he has upside for more so what's your early take on oliver bjorkstrand and the projection you're gonna come up with him over the summer
1: well when he made waves back three years ago at this time bjorkstrand had six points in seven games and 24 shots on goal in those seven games so averaging three and a half per night In just 14 minutes of ice time, what was so frustrating was that Bjorkstrand never saw an increase in minutes from that moment all the way up until this season. How much Oliver Bjorkstrand did we miss out on? It's so disappointing. And only once... Bjorkstrand started scoring, did his time on ice even rise? He was under 17 minutes a night before going on his run. Now, uh, before he got injured, he was over 18 and a half minutes of uh, a night. And it makes you wonder, like, chicken or egg, right? Which came first? Did the scoring lead to the rise in minutes or did the rise in minutes lead to the scoring? But it almost doesn't matter because we saw Bjorkstrand's talent there Three years ago, his underlying numbers have barely changed since then. This has all been about opportunity for Oliver Bjorkstrand. He's posting career highs in all the numbers I like to see, but the signs were always there that he could do this. Um, So I guess I'm just happy. I don't have to be mad about Bjorkstrand not getting opportunity anymore. It feels like he should just be dialed in for 17, 18 minutes a night going forward. Still on the defensive Columbus teams, though. So I, I think his 60 points this year feels like a, the right amount to peg him up for next year.
0: Okay, so you would take Elias Lindholm over Oliver Bjorkstrand then?
1: Well, when push came to shove in Calgary, Lindholm joined Sean and Johnny. having a great time up there, although he did see success on the second line before joining them. The second line is also rolling right now in Calgary, right? With Backlund, Manjapani, and Kachuk. And that makes it easier for Calgary to pencil Lindholm into the top line again whenever play gets unpaused. That probably makes Lindholm's ceiling higher than Bjorkstrand but I I think it's a good comparison Elon to to think about these guys and I think the way I go is it's just about opportunity here I'd rank Lindholm ahead of Bjorkstrand because Calgary probably sees now that they've got a good top six configuration that works and Columbus is probably going to keep playing this defense first hockey swap their situations though if you're asking me who's the better player I, I or well Maybe I won't answer that, but maybe I I don't know. I haven't seen enough to know. But if you swap their positions, I'd like Bjorkstrand and Lindholm's spot more than Lindholm and Bjorkstrand's spot. Uh, But as of now, like I mentioned, I'd see like 60 points from Bjorkstrand, but Lindholm has the better upside. 65, 70 points seems very possible if he spends all season on the top line that is working as it has been for the last quarter or whatever I I don't know how to frame this season it's fine the last 15 games of this season where Gaudreau was suddenly clicking and doing things that he hadn't been doing for the first 50 or so games uh if Lindholm's a part of that ride that's great news for him so yeah I take Lindholm over Bjorkstrand yes given their circumstances you agree
0: yeah no I've been waiting for you to finish this sentence because I actually disagree with you Uh, I'm excited to uh, discuss or maybe we've already talked about it a lot but I would say like you have it flipped from how I think of it because I think that Bjorkstrand has the higher upside I think Lindholm's the safer pick because we've seen him sustain like a 60 plus point pace for a couple years now but Bjorkstrand is the one who's been putting up all these shots and 30 points over his last 30 games like I said so he's shown us the capability of being a point per game guy plus I feel like with Columbus getting healthy it seems like Bjorkstrand has bumped Cam Atkinson from the top line when everyone's healthy. So if he's going to play with Dubois and maybe like a Nyquist or someone, and then if he's got, you know, Wierenski or Seth Jones, like if everyone's out there and healthy, we've seen an upside from Bjorkstrand that that I think is higher than Lindholm. But, you know, Lindholm seems like a safer pick, so I'd flip it.
1: Well, I also think Bjorkstrand has, like, higher potential rubside. I think he just has less chance of realizing it. So, I don't know. Are we both saying the same thing? Like, no. Lindholm, because of where he is in Calgary, is going to do better than Bjorkstrand. You think that Bjorkstrand could still, ex- like, get to that 65-70 point plateau if he just gets the right line mates in Columbus?
0: I think he could be higher. I think he could just continue what he was doing this whole season.
1: I just don't. Well, but he was doing 60 points this
0: season. Sorry, over the last 30 games. Like when he started to finally get the opportunity on the ever since he's been on the top line, he's been a point per game guy.
1: Yeah. So I I hear you. I'm curious to see. I obviously am just pessimistic that Columbus runs a system that's going to let anyone score a lot more than 60 points.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see. We've never seen Oliver Bjorkstrand get this ice time. And now that he's getting it, he's showing that he can do it. So he has to stay healthy, of course. That would be a nice thing. Okay, so then we ended this show three years ago. I think I was drinking or something because I got very excited. And I was just throwing hot takes out there that people in the chat room were not happy with. Actually, Dave Benton was there in the chat room. And actually, it's funny because we started promoting on this episode. I don't know if we started. We were talking about Stream Scheme being a new show at the time that Dave had started making. And now three years later, he had a great season of the Stream Scheme. But at the time, it was just for the patrons. And I went out, I, we got to some cold streaks, and I said that it's time for people to drop Corey Schneider. And at the time, that was actually a hot take. He had lost eight games in a row. He was down to only a 9-11 save percentage on the season. And I said, Brian, I think people should just let him go. Dave Benton in the chat apparently said no with an exclamation point. And uh, you want to know how things ended up going the rest of the way? Brian, you want to take a guess? Oh, I think that uh, Corey Schneider bombed. Yeah. Yeah. I was totally right. He ended up doing even worse than he had been. He ended the season with only one win and an 8.93 save percentage in his seven remaining games. So this was definitely the start of the Corey Schneider fall that then would continue for the next few seasons, all the way until like four games ago, because randomly just before this pause... Corey Schneider is once again making us wonder if maybe he still has something left in the tank, because he was in the minors forever, but then he ended up getting called up uh, after the trade deadline, after Demang got traded, and in Schneider's four games he's played, three wins, and a 9.52 save percentage, including a shutout over Anaheim, so, Brian, I don't know, like, uh, I I don't want (laughs) to... (laughs) <laughs> I, like, I'm still getting
1: whiplash from our almanac and the early season tapings where all I heard about was Schneider's awesome 17 games to end the year. It was the same way I heard about Steele, Silverberg, Raquel, and how they ended the year. Those were, like, the two things, like, and now you're, like, saying how—and then we gave up on Schneider, and now you're like, oh, but is he good again? Like, I, I can't handle— All this back and forth. Corey Schneider is Corey Schneider. He's inconsistent. He's unreliable. And sometimes inexplicably goes on runs, especially when you've given up on him entirely. Look at that episode we recorded three years ago after you said how we'd lost eight games in a row and was down to a 9-11 on the season. Uh, I shared that prior to the last six games... He had eighteen games where he was nine five and three with a nine thirty two save percentage. So I was looking on the sunny side because sometimes there's a sunny side for Corey Schneider, but the the bottom line is that he you can't rely on him. He's just all over the place.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I just think it's interesting okay. now that he has shown that he has something, maybe left. So we'll see next year. I'm not drafting him. I, I would take Bernier over him. Brian, let's say you were for you were in a challenge league where since you're so good at fantasy, they give you a couple of like albatrosses on your lineup that you have to hold, and you got to choose between either Corey Schneider or Henrik Lundqvist on your team, and you have to hold them all next year and play them every game they play. <laughs> Who would you take?
1: Oh uh, well, if I had to play them every game they played, I would take Lundqvist. I might get fewer starts but i'd get i hope more reasonable numbers Corey schneider's too scary who would you that's a really fun frame for a question though who would you take (laughs)
0: uh i don't know i guess maybe schneider (laughs) i don't know i'm not too into love (laughs) whoever knows about
1: uh, by the way funny like i mentioned he had a 9-11 on the season three years ago at this time uh like that sounds fine now right like that's like oh yeah that's like league average but three years ago that was like seven points below league average
0: yeah and also it was falling right like he that was you know he had a 9-11 after having lost eight in a row and it continued to fall after that because he had a terrible end to the year so that was the beginning of the decline for both Lundqvist and Schneider that episode three years ago Ugh. episode 139 so, of keeping Carlson
1: what a blessed time it was before that when Schneider and Lundqvist were just fine and reliable
0: yeah okay <laughs> so then I ended the show with a player who we thought would be fine and reliable but I was another player that I said that people could probably drop I said Tyler Toffoli let him go then Dave in the chat rooms and somebody needs to pour cold water on me because my takes are too hot and then i for some reason said that i'll reimburse everyone for their hockey pool fees if they drop to and then turn out to regret it so i was potentially on the line for a lot of money but thankfully to continued to be bad and he only had eight points in his final 15 games i can't believe when i was listening to the show i was like (laughs) what was i on what a crazy thing for me to have said um so yeah that was a fun trip down memory lane and yeah so to sucked at the end of that year, and we've been talking about him ever since the start of keeping Carlson, right? Like, we were super high on him after that 58-point breakout in 2015-16, and then we slowly but surely fell out of love with the as he kept falling after that until finally being free agent fodder last season with the Kings, even though he had a good stretch of shots on goal, but he wasn't getting anything. Then, this season, he became worth owning again, even on the Kings. He had 34 points in 58 games, so it's over 50-point pace, and now he's become a superstar on the Canucks. 10 points in the 10 games he's played on the Canucks and if this is it for the season Tafoli is going to be a really tricky guy to peg for next year like is this a guy we need to draft expecting like JT Miller type numbers like close to a point per game with great deployment on the Canucks next year like would you consider him as a risky pick if you're taking him around 70 point guys or do you think he's a pretty sure bet like I'd be curious how are we going to rank him among Bjorkstrand and Lindholm for next year
1: this is the sort of question that we'd really want to have seen the season play out for us to answer about how good Tyler Tofoli is for next year. Remember, Brock Besser had just returned to the lineup; he got one game in before the season was suspended. He lined up with Horvat and Pearson, which meant Tofoli held a spot on the top line with Pedersen and JT Miller. And man, I'd do anything to see more Tofoli in actually good offensive scenarios. La is just not the place for a player to put up goals, even in their better seasons. For the Kings, they had Kopitar for sure, then maybe Jeff Carter, and then there wasn't enough offensive bandwidth to lift anyone into any kind of impressive offensive production, and Tyler Toffoli suffered from that, and it's a bummer. He just escaped it now as he heads into his age 28 season next year with his physical prime likely behind him, but I'm still open to the idea that his best years of production could still be ahead of him if he does end up in a good positive offensively minded scenario I'm going to be watching closely to see what team he lands on to begin with next season if it's a team that doesn't play a shutdown game and has a spot for him in a top six that has two decent centermen I am very very interested in Toffoli and he's the kind of guy that you might see a lot of flyers taken on like he fits that profile really well of having a flyer taken on him right at the tail end of your draft
0: yeah. Oh, he won't be available at the tail end of the draft, I don't think, depending on the hype that he's built up just now. He's been at Piper Game Guy since he got to the Canucks. You're, you're dreaming if you're True. thinking you're getting at the end of the draft.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it depends on where he lands, but of course. If, if he stays in Vancouver, you're right, he's not lasting. If he's on a team like Vancouver, he's probably not lasting. So yeah, you're going to have to draft Tyler Toffoli this year. Yes,
0: yeah, so I'm saying, Like, let's say he stays on the Canucks. Like, Would you feel confident drafting him among the Elias Lindholmes, or would you rather just play it safe with a Lindholm?
1: I would definitely play it safe with a Lindholm. That that seems like I don't see Toffoli's upside being much greater than Lindholm. So yeah, and Lindholm's younger too. So I will take Elias Lindholm. Would you?
0: Uh, I guess, but I'm a wimp. I don't know. I want to take like Oliver Bjorkstrand and then Toffoli and then Lindholm, but that's probably dumb. That that's probably, is like,
1: like so backwards to me.
0: I know. Well, that that would be the risky play like, going I, for I think higher you, upside.
1: I think you have the wrong idea of which player is the conservative choice here.
0: Yeah, well, we'll talk about it over the summer. Anyways, at the the time I said to drop him and I was right. So I'm happy with that. Then like, okay, here's the craziest. Brian, you definitely need to at least go and listen to the ending of this show. Because I went into my, you know, pitch for Patreon and trying to get people to sign up as a patron. And I, I guess I really went hard at it and was telling people how you really need to support us and it would be like the right thing to do. And then I guess I sort of started to back off and I realized I was going too far. And then I started saying how, you know, but like, if you don't, it's okay. Like, I'll still answer your questions on Twitter. Like, my life is fine. Brian's life is fine. And so if you if you can't afford to to support us then don't worry about it and i really like went hard the other way it was a really weird rant and uh again i just wonder if i was drinking that night while recording <laughs> i don't do, now i've like grown up i drink red bull now when we record at the time maybe once in a while i'd have a beer
1: oh uh, maybe do we i don't know if we still have the video maybe that would provide oh, yeah. some options but i like you said your life is fine brian's life is fine and now look at us three years later
0: And uh, how how are you feeling, Brian?
1: Well, I mean, if only we had gotten like you had pushed really hard for patronage and then we got like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars more that we could then just donate to virus testing kits and and supporting everybody in this dangerous time.
0: Yeah, it's too bad. So I blame the listeners. They didn't help us (laughs) up. (laughs) No, you you,
1: it's your fault. You backpedaled. (laughs) You were like, I know it's okay. Don't don't support us
0: okay that's true uh i will say and they like, listen so thank you for listening everybody well right now by the way like we said feel free to not support us just like before but if you wanted to throw us any amount a month on patreon like a dollar a month uh just to like stand with us like to sort of say you're there for the summer we're gonna have some fun over the next few weeks try to keep ourselves busy with fun activities on the Patreon group and we're gonna do a patron cast soon and we're gonna do some fun drafts and we, we always have a lot of fun in the facebook group so consider it keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh brian with that another thing that came up in the patron group this week when I posted this crazy idea for this episode. This was like late at night. I was like uh... What if we like just listen to an old episode and then recapped it? And then I was saying, what do you people think about that? And then someone responded, maybe it was Matthew, I don't know, or someone else that uh, they're into it. If I also play my flute at some point and we have a flute karaoke session uh, and I was feeling agreeable at the time, but I I can't control the karaoke part. But I thought maybe since we haven't been able to hear it yesterday on Saturday for the first time in a while, what if I play you guys the Hockey Night in Canada theme song to play us out here today?
1: Sure, I can't wait to hear which Hockey Night in Canada theme song it is. Is it the original one that got sold to TSN, or is it the one that's taking its place? On CBC, I eagerly await the first note to determine okay. which one is true.
0: Here we go. Does that help you?
1: Uh, I think it's the the classic one.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow, good call. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, I practiced this yesterday. I didn't practice this today, so I might I might mess up. And there's no edits, so hopefully it'll go well.
1: so happy to encore uh, encore encore what do you want uh well i want the current hockey night in Canada How does it go? i actually don't think
0: i know that one
1: i can never remember it off the top of my head it's
0: i know like the hockey night na- i know that there's you know the song come out there, and on there it's oh, something tom yeah i could try to do that one okay This is the karaoke. You could ju- Brian, why don't you look up the lyrics? This is what I just was requested. Start,
1: I, I don't need to look them up.
0: Oh, you know it. Okay, here we go. There
1: we're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. The whistle blows
0: in Why don't you just look up the lyrics? Is okay, that, hang on. I'm you look, made I'm, such a bold claim there and then riffed <laughs> so quickly. I'm typing as, as I... I don't need the words. Le- would, I, re- remember, i'm a true hockey fan
1: remember back when the well i knew the rest i just missed one part do you remember back when the internet started it was just for looking up song lyrics and then like the one person who had the internet printed them out and brought them to school to share with their friends
0: <laughs> no i don't like it
1: was just like three lyric sites and now like i'm on LyricsFreak.com. i don't even know
0: okay, okay. But i don't this wasn't my experience <laughs> all right are we still doing this yeah Is this good content? I don't know. All right. Well, in case you want to stop listening, thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back at you. Oh, we should probably say that... uh, So Short Shifts is going to be more, um, I guess... Spontaneously coming out... As opposed to regularly coming out... Because it's a lot of content... But we're going to try our best... To keep you guys entertained... Yeah. Over the next few weeks... And uh, Ben and Lewis have said... Like Ben has this move going... So he's just trying to get through that... And then they're going to try their best... To come up with some episodes... Throughout the weeks... And then Brian and I... Are going to continue bringing you shows... Every Sunday... And like we said... This coming Sunday depending on if we get enough uh, entrance, it's going to be the hot takeoff. We want to hear your hot takes. So if you're a patron, just send it straight to John Reed. He's ready to get your DMs, or you could email them to takes at com. The winner of the hot takeoff gets a big prize.
1: What What is it? I don't know. Okay. I can't wait week. to find out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and com slash Patreon if you want to support us. Just a dollar a month for all the
0: perks. Yeah, yeah, we said that. I was going to read the credits quickly, so then we could just end with the flute. Oh, no, well, no, well, that's okay. Now people okay. can stop listening, then I'll play the flute, then we'll do the credits, then we're good. Okay. Okay, here we oh, go. And just,
1: just to be clear,
0: Keeping Carlson
1: will continue episodes every Sunday, short shifts, TBD.
0: Yeah. Okay. There it is. And thanks, everyone. Oh, and let us know what you thought of this show. We could do this again, <laughs> right? If you guys like it, you could give us any episode. Feel free to rec- suggest an episode of Keeping Carlson that you'd like us to recap. And we could go and do it. Why not? We have a big catalog.
1: Maybe we should do uh, like a director's commentary on
0: episode one. That could be a lot of fun. I'd be happy to do it if, if there's interest. So we're here to entertain you during this weird time in history. So, Brian, here we go. Karaoke time. <laughs> Hello
1: there we're on the air it's hockey night tonight tension grows faster the whistle blows i would
0: going slow because you're singing slow you no, started I'm, who's lead you're leading I'll Okay, will follow
1: fine. hello out there we're on the air it's hockey night tonight tension grows the whistle blows and the puck goes down the ice The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game. Uh, I
0: can't. I don't know if this is an internet thing or if you're terrible at this. (laughs) I think
1: you are really inconsistent in your pace. I I was trying to be true to the song.
0: I was trying to keep up with you and you, you kept You needed changing. to
1: practice more.
0: Okay, we'll practice together. Okay, we got to set aside some oh, time. Oh, the good old
1: hockey game. There you go. Is the best it's the best game you, game you, you could name. And yeah. the best game. Okay, you, that's
0: you, it. You, you lost Steam. It's over. I don't know. Hockey's a good game. But I don't know if it's the best game, because like, we've got Horizon Zero Dawn, okay, we've got Kalis. Like, there were a few lot games fewer there.
1: games when the song was written.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I just finished The Last of Us. Uh, the I, I played it again. I played it first like in 2014 or whatever when it came out, but I just finished uh, another playthrough because I'm excited for the sequel to come out. So if I'm going to be home in may i'm gonna definitely be spending some time playing the last of us two but no one cares what am i talking about okay so with that brian let's cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read the credits
1: all right this episode of the keeping Carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our newest ones shams jason joel welcome and thank you logo art by brandon weeb at brandonweave.com outro music by pat roach and this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen pool dauber prospects natural stat trick evolving hockey cat friendly charting hockey hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects roto world yahoo and keeping carlson we researched using ourselves
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. Okay, well, great job, as always, Brian. And really looking forward to the hot takeoff next week. Send us your takes, kktakes at gmail.com. Until the takeoff, keep on keeping car rolls on.